does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin, you look very studious this morning. You're really, yeah. Well, you're. Why do you say that? Well, you've you've got your your very intent on your focus of what you were looking at there on your laptop. I didn't know if maybe you were breaking down TCU's performance last night. And well, I, <laughs> boy, you know, honestly, you watch that game and you think to yourself, "I'm glad that's not Notre Dame." I thought the same thing as a Clemson fan. I, I was watching it, thinking, you know, Clemson was one probably a half a quarter away from getting into the college football playoff. Yeah, Notre Dame was not that. Had they not lost to South Carolina, and I was like, they would have been absolutely blown out of that building, right? And, and you know what, Jake? I, I sit here and I say that, but I also think to myself, TCU did deserve to be there. They beat the they number, number two no team in the nation on yeah, a Yeah, that was more field. about Georgia than it was about right. TCU to me. And Michigan had beaten Ohio State by three scores at Ohio State, so you had the domino effect of, you know, again, Ohio State-Michigan was kind of a pseudo-quarterfinal, and then what TCU did to Michigan in that bowl game, but... The SEC, they schedule those uh, like FCS games in November. That's what last night felt like. I would agree with that. I mean, which is a shame because again, the semifinals were yeah. so good, and and again, it's Monday night. What else am I going to do? You know, I, I I don't know how or why I have a Georgia T-shirt. But I was going to you say you're a Georgia fan. I I always when I was a kid, my sister went to high school. Was in the same graduating class with Lars Tate. And Lars Tate, who at the time was, you know, he was the number one high school player in the country from North Central. And I was a fifth grader when he was a senior. So, you know, he was like my my first sports hero was the late, great Lars Tate. But uh, he went to Georgia. And so, you know, my sister had a classmate at Georgia. So I always kind of liked him. I, I wouldn't say I've necessarily been a fan. I've never had a problem with him. But I don't know how or why I have a Georgia t-shirt, but I do. And I just thought, you know what, that after that historical performance... The the largest margin of victory in bowl history, let alone a championship game history, uh, then kudos and credit to the Georgia Bulldogs on back-to-back national champions and the front-runner, odds-on favorite, I should say, to make it three in a row next year, but we shall see. Great imagine, defense, though. Imagine telling Purdue fans you won't have the largest bowl margin in defeat of the season. Correct. Last La- week. Lasted two weeks, right? Um, or whatever 65 it was. points I saw was the most points ever scored against a top five team. Again, we're talking college football history, bowl history, as you pointed out with that margin. And obviously Stetson Bennett's going to be a loss, but Jake, I kind of forgot this until they said it late in the game last night. No one has ever won three in a row. Isn't that amazing? And that's what Georgia will be going for next season. And Brock Bowers, who once again showed that he was the best player on the field last night, as much as I love Michael Mayer, Notre Dame's tight end, Brock Bowers is absolutely incredible. He falls in the Marvin Harrison Jr. Caleb Williams camp of he's got to come back. He's only been in college football for two years. So uh, Georgia will be bringing back. They will lose their quarterback, but they will be bringing back their best player. Uh, They also lost 15 guys to the NFL. 15 guys get drafted. Yeah. And it's not like they raided the transfer portal either. Um, yeah, to say that you were impressed by last night would be an understatement. Uh, good morning to you on a Tuesday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. I thought maybe you were eating your cereal again. Oh, no. I already did that. Uh, this is Kevin and Quarry on 93.5-1075, The Fan. A lot to talk about over the course of the morning. We will get into a little Pacer discussion, but 
Uh, it's a big 48 hours, I guess you'd say, Kevin, in trying to pick up the pieces and just wade things through for the Colts. Chris Ballard going to talk later today, correct? Yeah, 10.30. Um, Chris Ballard will have his season season ending press conference so we heard from Jeff Saturday yesterday locker room clean out with players uh, and we have started to see a few names trickle out for interview requests for the Colts so we can go over a few of those names so far I think we've had four uh, two hailing from the Detroit Lions uh, we'll get some insight in the Lions on tomorrow's show and their offense coordinator and defensive coordinator but yeah we'll hear from Ballard today at 10:30 and this is really the first time you know first time he's spoken this season outside of the um, that awkward Monday night back in November when he didn't look too happy up there you know one of the questions that I'd like to know to be honest with you the first question that I would have for Chris Ballard would be does he want to be here yeah, I have uh, written down, do you feel like your voice is muted at all? Yeah. I mean, will he answer that honestly? I don't know. It, probably not. It, it's funny, Jake. I went back and looked at my questions that I had for him last year. They're really the same, which is probably not a great reflection on how the last year has gone for the organization. <laughs> like, do you feel like your blueprint needs to be altered at all? Do, do you not like- pass go. Do not collect to it. Well, I guess that wouldn't be. Not, he's not going to jail, but it would be like the game. Sorry, you go right back to home base, right? And like, do you feel like your philosophy needs to be adjusted when you look at the results of it now, six years into it? So it'll be interesting to see how Ballard um, handles things. I thought Jeff Saturday, uh, for a man that preaches accountability, I thought he had none of it yesterday at the podium. Um, absolutely none of it. He acts like these eight games. Um, he acted like he was Tom Crean taking over for Kelvin Sampson. That he walked into a sanction-filled program and scholarships were gone. And I, I, I was I was pretty stunned listening to Jeff Saturday yesterday. Um, well, was he? If his words can win over Jim Irsay, I guess he could still get this job. But I think the embarrassment just was too much late in the season. Kevin, allow me to ask this. We know Jeff Saturday a little bit, and as a guy, I lo- I mean, like him a great yeah, deal. Yeah, I don't love saying what I just said. I mean, right. clearly, it's not, it's not good for my relationship with him. Um, he's been great to us on this program, but we have a job to do that should not cloud or affect our ability to critique him when he steps away from, you know, as a broadcaster, Jeff Saturday was a a, a colleague, I guess you'd say, and a part of this show. As a coach... That's different, and it is our job to objectively and to allow our listeners to know that we are able to separate the two by objectively opining and critiquing his ability as a coach, not as a broadcaster. Do you feel that he has changed at all? Has his mindset or his, I hate to say likability, but does he appear to be someone who is under a different level of pressure as a coach than he was as a broadcaster? You know, maybe maybe to a degree, Jake. I just think he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. We can play some audio a little bit later that, I mean, you'll find just a month ago, he's saying it's about the wins and the losses, and then he's up there yesterday. And I think we can acknowledge that it was a difficult situation that he was put in. I, I will fully acknowledge that. But he made it worse. Um, he wanted no part of comparing his situation here to Steve Wilkes in Carolina. 
if you look at the two, Carolina fired their defensive coordinator. The Colts fired their offensive coordinator or their play caller, if you want to call Frank Reich that. Uh, Carolina traded away their best player. I didn't see the Colts trading away their best player. Carolina started quarterbacks named P.J. Walker, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and I think Jacob Eason actually threw some passes. And yet they went 6-6. Six and six. And Jeff Saturday just put together one of the most embarrassing interim runs you'll ever see in NFL history. So, again, for someone that the accountability word was the big word um, for him to totally like diminish and kind of sweep under the rug what just happened in those eight games... Uh, didn't seem like that was a man of his word with those comments. Um, and I'll be very curious to see how Jim Mercer reacts to that. Because, you know, when you think about Jeff Saturday, Jake, what was his job most recently before this? Well, he was an analyst at ESPN. And that means you're a good talker. Yeah. And he's great at that. He's unbelievable at that. Um, and we've seen Jeff Saturday, or excuse me, we've seen Jim Mercer be wooed by that before with Chuck Pagano. Does he get wooed by that again with with Jeff Saturday? Because, and again, how much of a voice, to your earlier point, Jake, does Chris Bauer have in this? Because I think Chris Bauer will be much more open-minded to listening to candidates and wanting another candidate than Jim Mercer. And, and let me be clear, I, I don't think that... I think Jeff Saturday is a legit candidate in Jim Mercer's eyes, but I think the embarrassment of the season is a stain that even Jim Mercer can't ignore. Is it possible when when Jeff Saturday was named the interim coach of the Colts, those who had been around coaching for a long time were very critical of that decision to select Jeff Saturday and of that appointment. And the critique was that Jeff Saturday just didn't quite know, even though he had been a player, you know, as I've said, being the host at the restaurant is different than being the kitchen manager on New Year's Eve. And the critique was that he didn't understand everything that went into it. He didn't have a firm grip on everything that goes into coaching at the NFL level. Is it possible that those critiques about him are that some of those of which caught a lot of criticism? You know, Bill Cowher caught a lot of criticism, right? Is it possible those critiques are now vindicated by Jeff Saturday not even being aware how bad it was? In other words, if Jeff Saturday, whether he believes it or not, Jeff Saturday saying like indicating that he doesn't realize how poor that stretch was, is does that illuminate Jeff Saturday's naivete about coaching overall? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I guess I haven't put a whole lot of stock into it. I, I would say this, Jake. If, if Jeff Saturday is right and he was walking into this horrific situation and it was a no-win situation, which, again, the Colts were, what, 3-5-1 and one at that point? I mean, they had been pretty competitive in all of their games. For what it's worth, they'd beaten two playoff teams if you look at how Kansas City and Jacksonville played out the year. Um, but if that is true, Jake, then what does that say about Chris Bauer's roster? Like, if you're Jim Mersey and you watch that press conference yesterday and you nod your head, and you and you say, man, Jeff Saturday's right. He is a hundred percent right. Then that has to be a reflection on the culture and the roster that Chris Bauer has built. So I guess it's one of two things: either Jeff Saturday's making a lot of excuses for himself, or he's right, and that's pretty damning on Chris Ballard. Now will Ursay look at it in that light? We'll see how 
it plays out. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, virtual interview with the Denver Broncos yesterday. That was reported by Tom Palacero of the NFL Network. Again, the Colts have put in four interview requests for those that missed it. This kind of happened late. I think Georgia just scored their 13th touchdown of the game when this unfolded. I can't believe the score was 10-7 at one point, by the way. I know. Yeah, you're right. Nice 55 nothing run in the game. (laughs) I mean, it was... I'll be honest. Do you remember the show Blind Date with Roger Lodge? Oh, sure. Yeah, shamelessly, I watched it. Roger Lodge was just great on that show. God. Uh, I have found that on Pluto TV. So, Regent Brian will get upset here. Uh, By the time it was like, I think it was like 38-7, I'm like, yeah. Now, is Pluto True TV? Is this what we watch for the play-in games? That's a, it's some you know what like I grab the remote and I say blind date and then it takes me to something called Pluto TV and I watch it on that. It's got every episode ever made of the show. Um, pray for Shannon. Oh, she's she likes it. It's that or Real Housewives of whatever county. So well, yeah, Maddie's right there with her. We come to a truce. Southern charm. Yesterday was a perfect right night to uh, earn some bonus points with the wife. Like you, you want to watch something? I know. And honestly, <laughs> that's, that's what good. I did. We watched White Lotus. That's what we did. We, I heard that's a good show. Is that very good? good. Maddie very was good really upset. She she got into the like TCU. I mean, in national championship situations, TCU is the biggest underdog we've had in a national title in years. So like, she loves that storyline, right? And then all of a sudden, every time she looks up, or she, you know, she hears Chris Fowler's voice just have this huge inflection. She's like, oh my God, they scored again. I mean, it was just, yeah. I, I, I should have gone that route, Mark. That now that I think about it, Mark, you're the one that told me White Lotus It was, was good yeah. We, I mentioned it in the Pacers game, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, is that like just a regular, is it a drama? It's on HBO. It? It's comedy drama. JMV's okay. big. I think he's been it's very good. chatting about it as well. Sorry, I, I got Pluto TV and now we're here. <laughs> I'm telling you, like it's the Pluto TV, and you know they have ads on the Pluto TV like every 30 seconds for Family Ties, which was the greatest sitcom of the 80s. So I'm cool with it. Uh, ben Johnson, the OC from the Lions, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator from the Lions, Raheem Morris, defensive coordinator for Sean McVay with the Rams, and Shane Steichen, the Eagles' offensive coordinator. Uh, those four names all have one thing in common, and that is all of them could interview this week. Uh, Obviously, the two Lions coordinators and Raheem Morris with the Rams, their season's over. So all of them could interview this week. Shane Steichen can interview because the Eagles are on a bye. So those are the first four names. Again, interview requests by the Colts. We'll see if these candidates um, will accept those requests, and we can get into more of those or a little bit more detail on those guys here in a bit did i see also and this guy's name is going to be thrown around a lot he always is but um is eric man the enemy another one that boy i haven't seen his name for? yet jake you know that was one of them have, that have you mark i haven't i haven't seen his name i'm not no i mean that could also be because the, Col- the chiefs are obviously in the playoffs but but to, still to you that point heard this is the time you can interview right because you they got even, the bye. i haven't heard it even mentioned yet yeah i mean shane steichen oc for the eagles number one seed in the nfc he has been requested i believe by a couple of teams eric Bieniemy um has not so raheem moore is the one with head coaching experience the more i you know talk to some people and read about ben johnson i get a little brad stevens vibe to it and that might sound a little odd to people i can kind of explain a little bit more here in a bit uh, but Chris Ballard interviewed Dan Campbell 
back in 2018 in that second round after Josh McDaniel said no. It's probably worth pointing out that the Detroit Lions coached the Senior Bowl last year. That's an event that Ballard holds in high regard. Um, and then they were obviously here at Grand Park for joint practices back in August. So you got an up-close look for a couple of days at both of those coordinators there. So some early names in a process that if Chris Bowers running the show, it's going to be a pretty exhaustive process. Ben Johnson is a youngest-looking fellow, right? Yeah, 36. Looks like He looks a lot like my buddy Brian Bettner. Did you guys have that on the bingo card, by the way? Boy, we might have to go full board to get <laughs> Brian Bettner on there. Well, Brian, he looks. Ben Johnson looks like Brian Bettner. Brian Bettner, Bettner was 075 on but, our bingo, bingo board. <laughs> Am I the only person that when I hear the name Ben Johnson thinks 979 and steroids? Uh, I think so. Now that you say that, no. Steroid, track and field, right? Correct. 88 Olympics, he ran a 979 in the 100. Canadian guy? Correct. World record, and then later was stripped of it for performance-enhancing drugs. He fits the mold. This Ben Johnson, by the way, fits the mold of young offensive mind, pair with the quarterback. And I do think that is an aspect of this head coaching search that the Colts should look into. I'm not saying it's a end-all, be-all, like you have to have that. But if you're going to hire Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator... Or hire an Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, you're always going to have the question in the back of your head of what happens if your offense has success and then another team plucks your offense coordinator. That's how I feel about Mark's situation with his Bears. And it's a good problem to run into, but if and when the Bears start to have great offensive success and Justin Fields takes another jump, in all likelihood, somebody's going to come calling for Luke Getze, the OC for Chicago. And how does Matt Eberflus, as a defensive head coach, react to that? So... That will be something you'll hear probably from me a lot here over the next couple weeks. Uh, Ben Johnson, by the way, Dan Campbell had the following to say about him. I think Ben's a rock star, man. He's a young guy, but he's kind of gone a little longer, harder road to get where he's at. He's been around some really good coaches now, some guys who have coached some pretty good quarterbacks. Just the fact, though, that he is its one year as offensive coordinator, right? Is that yeah. too quick an ascension? I think he was an interim uh, in 21. They, they promoted him midway through the season. I mean, it's a fair question. Um, obviously, you're going to get examples of the reverse of that. You're going to find guys that have been coordinators for not very long and have had success. But, I mean, Chuck Pagano was a coordinator for a year. I think there's a lot of people that say, hey, you know, he, didn't, he just kind of took over a Ravens defense that in a way was born on third base for him. And didn't really kind of experience. I don't call the Lions offense that, though. I, mean, I think it was pretty impressive. I mean, Detroit had the third best offense in the league and fifth in points. And they utilized their tight ends a lot. And, and traded away Just, their their best tight end during yeah. the season. So, um, again, this is very early in the process. I don't look at these four candidates and think it's the... Um, wouldn't it, it be, it's the final Wouldn't list. it be just the Lions to go 500 or just above 500 and be right on the cusp of the playoffs and then have their entire coaching staff plucked <laughs> yeah. away. Both your coordinators are gone. Boy, when Dan, if Dan Campbell calls you a rock star, that's probably one you want pretty well, high up I mean, on like the that, LinkedIn. Like, Dan Campbell himself, it seems like a rock star guy, right? Like, I bet doesn't it seem like he probably just has like a kiss poster on his wall? Oh, 1,000%. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm still worried about his nose from the other night. That thing was... Redder than Rudolph. Uh, Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star going to join us at 8 o'clock. We'll get Joel's thoughts on what he interpreted from Jeff Saturday yesterday and then Chris Ballard's final presser coming up at 10.30. Tony East is going to join us at 9 uh, to talk Pacers and, and a little bit more to this Miles Turner news. Again, for those that missed it over the weekend, Turner uh, is camp or Turner himself, whoever you want to classify, um, 
reported that they've turned down the Pacers' early extension talks. Again, you still got about a month to play out. Something that I don't think I mentioned, Jake, in regards to Turner that probably is worth pointing out, he just recently changed agents. Right. You think that's good or bad? In my, whatever, 10 or 11 years of covering professional sports, you don't change agents to re-sign with a team you've been with for eight years. That's a good way of looking at it. That's an interesting perspective. And, you know, I know I'm stereotyping there, but I think that is an element to this story that maybe we haven't paid enough attention to. And, you know, who knows? Indiana can offer a whole lot amount of money, uh, but can his agency and this new agency draw some money out from others? You know, I think at times we kind of look at the cap situations in the NBA and think, I swear these big market teams just print money. And looking at the cap, it's not always like, oh, wait, they're not following the rules. I I mean, the luxury tax is something that teams, a lot of teams, you feel like they aren't even afraid to tap into. So something to keep in mind. Pacers back in action tomorrow night at New York. I really, I really hope they can come to a thing with Turner because I think he's a key. They have such good young pieces right now. And I just, he feels like the glue stick. He and Buddy healed both. I, I used to love glue sticks. Really? And rubber cement. <laughs> did you did now did you ever eat the glue or the paste? No, the one thing I ate when I was younger that my mom was not thrilled by, she left the kitchen, I ate a stick of butter. <laughs> what are you, AJ Foyt? How much of the butter did you eat? I, I she told me a stick. God. Yeah, pray for what <laughs> what it looked like coming out of the uh, coming out of the basement okay. for the next <laughs> okay few minutes. Did you not get sick off that? How old were you? I, I think I did get sick. I was you know early elementary age, probably. <laughs> I was I mean, sixteen. I was gonna <laughs> say. Yeah, I'm gonna take the car keys and grab <laughs> a stick of butter. I'll see you in fifteen. How much like what in one stick of butter? What is the the fat and or cholesterol count in one stick of butter? Yeah. I think it's high. Yeah, I can't. That's what I would say. Well, no. I think it's high. Yeah, let's let's not get Montman on the phone and talk about. We're gonna look here and talk about. that. I can promise you that's one adventure that I will not be undertaking. I was obviously not there on Sunday, Jake. I was over at uh, the Colts game. T.J. McConnell hurt the right shoulder. Yeah, and I didn't even. Didn't like, come back in the game, right? There wasn't a point, though, where it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it wasn't. Like, he was, like, on the floor and needed to be tended to. Correct. Probably something to keep an eye on uh, with him. Again, the Pacers. Tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden. That will certainly get a little bit more attention based off Tyrese Halliburton. Let's see. 810 calories. That's not terrible. No, that's now, not bad. Okay, you did have 243 milligrams of cholesterol. Oh, I can feel it sitting in my stomach right 727 now. 727 milligrams of sodium. Uh, this is probably the big one. 58 grams of saturated fat. So probably wasn't God, good. just doesn't sound good. You think it's still in there? The fact that you took a bite and you're like, this this is worth eating. <laughs> That's concerning. <laughs> I mean, did you like, do you, I mean, A.J. Foyt supposedly used to freeze sticks of butter and eat them like candy yeah, bars. You know, again, A.J. Foyt, uh, you know, a world, <laughs> world-class athlete, um, but I don't know if I want to be on the same sort of health <laughs> <laughs> Plan of him. Uh-huh. Very, against AJ very fair. Uh, Jeff Saturday spoke yesterday. We'll play some of that and some interesting comments from a guy who himself has been an interim head coach with the Colts. 
kind of indicting of Jeff Saturday. We'll play all of it coming up on the other side. And then again, Joel Erickson, 37 minutes from now. Tony East talking Pacers, 9 o'clock. On a Tuesday morning, Kevin Aquari, 93.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Speaking of those Ball State Cardinals, we will lead with that because Michael Lewis's group has won seven in a row. They are now 11-4, 2-0 in league play, and they are on the road tonight. Athens, Ohio, to take on the Bobcats of Ohio. That game, Ohio coming in with a two-game losing streak, but they are undefeated at home. 7 o'clock start Tonight, that is part of a four-game slate of local schools. I say, shouldn't say local, but statewide schools. Belmont is in Valpo. That's also at 7 o'clock. Butler on the road. They take on St. John's at 6.30. St. John's at 11-6. and 6. Butler 10-7, and 7, but just 2-4 and four in league play. St. John's also on a skid. Five-game losing streak. And Georgia Tech taking on Notre Dame. It's Irish. Let's get back on track three tonight. Three-game skid. Can't wait for tomorrow. Fire Mike Bray. Seven o'clock. Tip. Get back on track tonight. You guys coming over? Were we invited? What did I? Are just there going to be sticks of butter for like? You know, uh, we'll go half sticks. I've got a Georgia Tech shirt too. Should I wear that? It is a great fight song, but tonight we're not we're not cheering for the Yellow Jackets. Uh, Ten thirty this morning. We'll hear from Chris Ballard. Season season ending press conference. I will. I do think it's going to be streamed live for those looking. Um, uh, Colts.com, their social channels. Uh, yesterday we heard from Jeff Saturday. He wants the permanent head coaching gig, and he said there would be significant change if you were to get that. If I get this job, there's going to be significant change. You know, the way I do things is not the way things, um, you know, necessarily have been done. I have my own way. And so I think that's the part that, you know, as you're, as you're thinking about the way you want to run an organization as the head coach, that's, that would be my responsibility. You know, when I came in, I'm thrust into how things have been done, you know, for the past however many years. And I'm appreciative of that and, and the work that they've done and the success that they've had. Uh, but it will look different. And so, you know, understanding that that's, that's been part of my learning lesson, chap, right, is I've, I've looked at the things that I really like about what we do and the things that I don't necessarily like that we do. And, and there has to be, uh, you know, to, to lead an organization, there has to be alignment from all of us, from, from Mr. Ursay and Ballard and myself and, and the entire organization of how this thing looks. And, and as a leader, if you don't have that, um, I, I don't think you'd be effective. My only question from that, Kevin, twofold would be, number one, the players were yesterday pretty adamant about the fact, I mean, some of them about how much they like Jeff Saturday and that he should be given another opportunity. And I'm like, well, you just had like eight games to kind of make your case for him, right? I mean, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and number two. Yeah, action spoke louder than words on the field. If there were changes that Jeff Saturday felt needed to be made, why did he not do them already? I understand he may mean personnel, but like, hey, there's a way that I go about doing things, and and well, if you were brought in as an interim to 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 do things differently, so why did you not do things differently? Okay, we'll talk with Joel Erickson coming up at the top of the hour more about this. A couple of player notes yesterday from the Colts again, locker room clean out. Matt Ryan doesn't sound like retirement is imminent for him. Um, he's going to make a decision here in the coming weeks, but he feels like there's still good football left. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, unsure yet if he will need ankle surgery. Shaquille Leonard sounded 
much, much different than he has in recent months. Really pleased with how his body's responded to this latest back surgery. Feels like the nerves in his calf are firing and certainly sounded optimistic. Gave a lot of credit to Jeff Saturday for telling him to shut it down and not make things worse. And Paris Campbell, um, you could just sense the relief in him and playing all 17 games and uh, said he would love to return in free agency. Jake, last night in the national championship game, um, 65-7. to That is not Georgia versus... Georgia Southern. Dallas Carter, Permian High School. That is Georgia against TCU. Uh, it was 10-7 at one point, and they scored 55 in a row. <laughs> I mean, it is... And again, that says more about Georgia than TCU. TCU deserved to be there. They... You know, they did what they had to in the semifinals. They had a fine season to put themselves into the college football playoff. Uh, Georgia, especially defensively, is just that good. They are so fast at every position. Georgia uh, could have won the NFC South this year, probably. Would Georgia have beaten the Colts? Oh, for sure. Oh, come on. Over, you, you guys are being sarcastic. Yes, I am. Yes. I am with that question. Uh, over, under, around four and a half for Stetson Bennett in his draft selection. What do you mean by four and a half? Fourth round? Four and a half, yeah. So does meant, he go... I thought you meant number of years he was at Georgia. Well, I think it was longer than that. Does he go higher than the middle of the fourth round, or does he get drafted earlier than the middle of the fourth round? I'm going to say he is a fifth round pick. I'll say, I'll say, yeah, fifth. That dude's got some wheels. He He's a good player. A great college player, for sure. Six touchdowns last night for Stetson Bennett. Georgia will go for the three-peat. Next year, that is a 17-game win streak. Jake pointed this out earlier. It's the biggest bowl margin ever. 58 points and 65 points is the most ever scored against a top five team. By the way, uh, is it SoFi or SoFi Stadium? SoFi Stadium? It's uh, Fi. They have a big thing that that's a non-smoking facility. Do they waive that for cigars? Well, that and then, was it raining in there last night? Well, it, it, L.A., Terrible rain in Los Angeles. But again, this is a dome stadium that's not really a dome? Correct. I think that's right. So, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I, it's got a roof, but like the sides are open. Like it's like an open air on the side. Because it was raining at one point. Like, oh, well, it's raining right, on some TCU, TCU fans. fans like, imagine having the roof and you're still getting rained on. Yeah. Well, that was pretty significant. That was pretty symbolic of the game, was it not? Yeah, very. It's also um, the uh, fifth straight national uh, national championship that's been won by double digits, so we haven't had a very competitive you know, the, game. The game here last year was closer than the final score indicated, but I did see that, and the fourth straight for the SEC. Finally, college basketball top 25. You want to go? You guys want to go coaches poll, or you want to go media poll? I saw Indiana uh, fell out, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they did And just, Purdue dropped a three. Uh, Indiana fell out without a parachute. Uh, Purdue now third, by the way, in both polls. The number one team in the land... Houston, the Cougars of Houston, number one, followed by Kansas, Purdue, number 17, <laughs> TCU. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. TCU. Fighting Jamie Dixon. TCU, whose fan base last night was chanting, we're 17th yeah. in hoops. Let's play basketball. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, would you like to uh, give me a number one through 25? 21. Number 21. That is the Dukies of Duke in one poll. and the AP poll, that would be Auburn. All right, okay. give me a number for myself. 18. Uh, 18. The Badgers of Wisconsin, the 18th-ranked team in both polls. You know what's a shame with Indiana right now, which I guess if you're a Purdue fan, it's not a shame at all. They've actually shot the three really well this season, all things considered. And if you'd have told Indiana fans at the start of the year, hey, you're going to be a top 30 three-point team, they'd be like, uh, oh, yeah, when's the Final Four? Yeah, you're right. 
Good point. Uh, at Penn State tomorrow for the Hoosiers. Purdue's got Nebraska coming up on Friday. Again, four interview requests so far for the Colts. We'll explain who those candidates are coming up next here and also play a little bit of Jeff Saturday audio here. Uh, Joel Erickson joins us at 8. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The clock. Uh, the interim stint for Jeff Saturday was one and seven. It was a seven-game losing streak uh, to end the season. Uh, last night on this station, you heard Colts Roundtable Live and Rick Venturi, a person who had been an interim head coach for the Colts, share his thoughts on Jeff Saturday. And Jake, you found them to be um, a bit enlightening. I did. You know, Rick is a guy that was an interim coach on a couple of different stents, as a matter of fact. I mean, most notably, he was the interim coach of the Colts back in 1991, which was not a good year, obviously. That led them um, to end up, and I believe it was Ron, I'm pretty sure it was Ron Meyer who was, who was fired. Ron Meyer, who himself, by the way, had been an interim and then become the head coach. He was the only interim coach in Colts history to then be hired as a head coach. Um, but Rick Vittori took over in 1991. Probably his biggest thing that happened during his tenure as the interim coach, which, again, not a good season that he inherited. He suspended Eric Dickerson, which was a huge deal because Dickerson was holding out and was really just kind of a pain in the backside. And so he suspended Dickerson. That was probably the thing with which he was most known during that stint. Uh, he later was an interim for the New Orleans Saints. Actually, after, I believe it was Jim Mora, who would have, I can't remember if Mora was fired or or stepped down midway through the season in 1996. So Venturi's record overall, 2-17, a, a little misleading because of the situations 
that he was in. But having said all of that, obviously he has worked under you know some great coaches along the way, notably that dream roster of you know Nick Saban and you know working for Bill Belichick in Cleveland. There were a ton of great coaches. Kirk Ferentz, I think, was there. But anyway, Venturi um, last night was on Colts Roundtable and was summarizing the Colts season and notably his critique of the job of Jeff Saturday and didn't really hold back. Here's how it sounded. In my world, he gets a very poor grade, okay? And maybe no fault of his own. I just feel like that, you know, he's way over his head. You know, it's like you uh, it's like you take a chiropractor and you make him the head surgeon at Ascension or at the Cleveland Clinic. It's just, you know, you're you're a, you're a snorkeler. You have a surface knowledge of what this job is all about and you're in the you're in the ocean, you know, with guys that have learned their craft and busted their craft and are totally knowledgeable A to Z and it's just not it's just not the same and you know we can rationalize he can rationalize on why you know what he why he couldn't do this but you know at the end of the day that seven games that last seven games I would say I was here in the 80s early 90s you know I remember 98 I remember 2011 and I would say that there is no worse stretch in the history of Indianapolis Colts football. That last statement's pretty indicting, Kevin. Yeah, and um, I, I would certainly say, without looking too deep at it, I would certainly say it ranks right up there with any other stretch. Again, it's incredibly embarrassing. and yeah, I don't know if I made this too clear early in the show, but I want to go back to it. I, I do think, and we'll see when Jeff Saturday gets the interview and if he can woo Jim Irsay... Again, because we know from a word standpoint, in an interview setting, that is when Jeff Saturday is at his best. But I do think the embarrassment late in the year got to the level where even Jim Irsay knows I can't continue this a bit of a hopeless romantic relationship that I really, really wanted to work. And honestly, Sunday's result and how embarrassing that was to finish it might have been kind of the nail in the coffin on that front. Again, we'll see. Chuck Pagano talked to Mercer out of it once. We'll see if Jeff Saturday, who, again, he holds in higher regard, could do it again. Um, so, yeah. Now, here's the thing. Jeff Saturday, though, despite all the noise, if you will, um, you know, the critique, and again, as I said earlier, perhaps somewhat of an indicting thing about Jeff Saturday or maybe what and follow me here. When Jeff Saturday took the job and there were so many people, Bill Cowher notably, that had been in the coaching fraternity that were like, this guy is totally in over his head and this is totally out of left field and unwarranted because he hasn't paid his dues and he doesn't understand what it takes to be a coach in the NFL. And a lot of those statements I think people took offense to. A lot of people thought that they were being, that the, the those that were saying it were being far too xenophobic or far too myopic about the the coaching industry itself but when Jeff Saturday um comes out then and is bullish about some of the things that took place then maybe that actually validates some of those critiques of him in the fact of gosh is he so naive to coaching that he doesn't even realize how poorly this went but Jeff Saturday yesterday one thing that he did say that I also found interesting is for all of the criticism 
all of the talking we do about the Colts and the poor finish and historically bad uh, Jeff Saturday says actually he doesn't think they're as far off as everyone else does. Not nearly as far as y'all think. I- I've seen some articles <laughs> here recently, so I can assure you a lot of shots fired, and uh, I don't think we're nearly as far off as you guys believe we are. I, I think the-, the the line in football between winning and losing is, is very narrow, and uh, there's things that we have not done um, that I believe habits that are created in March and April and OTAs and preseason and, and, you know, early in the season, they pay dividends in November and December, right? Unfortunately, I didn't have that opportunity for those things, but those moments matter. Jake, um, you brought up that moment two weeks ago in the Giants game. Don't you think that's something Jeff Saturday could have instilled in his two months on the job to where if our quarterback gets smoked and a player is celebrating inches away from that player, that we react in that moment. That seems like a rather simple thing that could be instilled into a football team in a month and a half. I don't even know, Kevin. On the job. You know, I don't even know that it's so much that you have to – you shouldn't even have to tell players that. Actually, to, to be truthful, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to do this because I don't want it to sound like – that I just pile on Chris Ballard all the time. It's almost an easy target at this point, and I don't want to be that guy. I really don't. However, I guess I'm going to be because that comes back to the, you know, the most overrated term that we hear in sports all the time, I think, is culture. Well, every single every single franchise, program, whatever, touts their culture. Literally every one of them. But it's one thing to talk about it, Culture to me is something that you never the only the true measure that a franchise or a team has culture is they never say the word. The second you tell me you've got great culture, the second I think to myself, no, you don't, or else you wouldn't have to tell me that. I'd know it. Well, how would you know it, Jake? I'd know it when a guy's laying on the field hurt and the defensive player that hurt them is laying down celebrating next to him my culture is that my guys are going to show that they stand by each other as a team they have culture they don't talk about it they just have it there is an inherent and to me you shouldn't have to even explain those things if you have the right people in place and you have brought them into a franchise in a system where it is made very clear that that is the kind of thing expected of them and I don't even know that that's I mean, that should have been established long before Jeff Saturday ever walked in the door. But yes, he, he could have reinforced it somehow. You know, I'll go back to something internally. That, I mean, yeah, I'll go back to something that Jeff Saturday uh, really debunked yesterday, or at least tried to, I should say, in that you can't compare his interim situation to others around the league. And he pointed directly to Carolina. And if you look deeper at Carolina's situation when Steve Wilkes took over, they were 1-4. They had just lost back-to-back games by double digits. They fired their defensive coordinator. They then traded away their best player a few weeks later. They played four quarterbacks this season. The four quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker, Jake, started half of Steve Wilkes' games at quarterback. Right. Sam Darnold and good old Jacob Eason even got a few snaps. Um they went 6 and 6 the rest of the way. Jeff Saturday walks in here. The Colts are 3-5 and 1. This wasn't some godforsaken bunch. They had I think they only lost one game by double digits at that point. They had beaten a couple playoff teams for 
for what it's worth, and yet they go 1-7 and seven the rest of the way. They have these weekly embarrassing performances. Where I was disappointed Jeff Saturday yesterday is for a guy that has preached so much accountability, and that's the most popular word we seem to hear from players and from him, I just heard excuse-making for 25 minutes in explaining how his two months went. Um, He was dealt a difficult hand to the nature that it should be one of the most embarrassing runs in Colts franchise history. Not at all. Um, And and that's where I think if you're Jim Irsay, you've got to think to yourself a little bit like, man, would have liked to have heard a little bit more of a, I didn't do my job to the level that needed to be done. I feel like if I have a full offseason to do it, I can instill some other things. This is a guy that a month and a half earlier said it's all about the wins and the losses. Well, that's the case. One and seven. And again, being the laughingstock of the NFL for the final month and a half of the, of the season, that to me is no endorsement to bring him back. It wasn't like they were losses either. There was like, ah, oh, they were close or this and that. They were like, blow the doors off you. Losses or like, Super embarrassing. I mean, losses, teams like going on team. 20, 30 point runs against you. Yeah, it's not like you oh, the, they missed. They lost. They missed a field goal. They the lost. Biggest 20 thing. To the biggest thing for me. At no point when I was watching games this year did I look over and feel like Jeff Saturday had this command of the sideline. It always kind of looked like he was the. It was like Celebrity Family Feud. Like it wasn't a real episode, right? It was like the celebrity fill in. It was like bringing the next Ring of Honor member to call plays next week. Kind of. I mean, it just felt that way, right? Again, I will reiterate, I do think Jeff Saturday is a candidate in Jim Mercer's eyes, but I think the embarrassment that unfolded late in the year is something that even Ursa himself has had to admit and has had to acknowledge. And so far, four interview requests for the Colts. We'll explain a little bit more on those names coming up. And I would expect that to expand here in the coming days. Chris Bauer at 1030. Let's chat more about that and what he thought of Jeff Saturday yesterday. Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star joins us next. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Eight o'clock hour is upon us. Good morning to you on a Tuesday. Hope you are set for a spectacular day here in Indianapolis or that it will be a spectacular day for you. Jake Cray along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton flying the controls for us. Joel A. Erickson will join us in just a couple of minutes before he does so. Let's go to the phone lines. We'll be talking a lot about Jeff Saturday and his address of the media yesterday. Chris Ballard will do so a couple of hours from now after this show. Granted, Brian joins us at 239-1070. Hi, Brian. Good morning to you. Brian, you there? No, Brian. Come on. (laughs) 
Mark, what'd you do to Brian, Mark? Try it again. Brian, you there? Hey, how about now? You got me now? Yeah, sorry you about got, that. Yeah, Good morning, Six times man. a charm, Brian. Sorry about that. All right, no problem, boss. Hey, I just was listening to the Slam Jeff Saturday show today, and uh, while as an unhappy Colts season ticket holder, I was looking at the schedules a little bit, realizing that we did play five out of eight playoff teams, and the Steelers were also in the hunt to make the playoffs up until the very end. Obviously, also played the Eagles super tight, man, all the way to the end. And then Jalen Hurts, who probably would have been the MVP if he didn't get hurt, he goes and makes some awesome plays to beat us. You know, obviously, the Cowboys were on a roll. We played them, and while it was a debacle, we played them extremely hard for three quarters. Uh, so I just think that uh, while Jeff, you guys are making it seem like that he had the most awful season in history, he played the Vikings, and obviously, we had a horrible collapsed there obviously but you know we played some pretty dang good teams pretty tough brian one and seven the point differential i believe was negative 80 that would be good for 28th in the nfl if you compare all those other teams to a 17 game schedule i i just i I don't see how you sit here at at the end of the year and there's a lot of on-field stuff that you point to and think that man deserves a job full-time no, I wouldn't say that he deserves a job full-time, but I don't don't think it was the worst coaching job in history, basically, which seems like, I mean, you guys basically been crapping on him for a whole hour. So, when, <laughs> you know, I just uh, well, Brian, I thought, you know, he, uh, he certainly has a lot more culpability than what he showed, I think. And maybe, obviously, this job's not for him. I thought the, the rah-rah attitude was going to be good. It might have helped us. Obviously, it did the first two games. You know, we, if it wasn't for Jalen Hurts coming alive at the – second half of that uh, Eagles game. We probably would have won that game, and who knows what could have happened. You know, happened. last night, TCU was only down 10-7. <laughs> well, I don't think that's a fair assessment, but I get it. Well, but I mean, if you look Thank at the Thank you, second, Brian, for the call. Yeah, and I appreciate it, Brian. Listen. And, and I appreciate the counterpoint. I, I do, and I like... Brian, I love Jeff Saturday as a guy. I do, and I... I if if that's where they want to go, then I, I certainly hope it works out. It just spiraled so out. I of just control. think the second half scores are what you have to look at when teams are able to make adjustments at the half. And and again, in terms of saying it's the worst stretch in Colts history, you know, don't shoot the messenger. I mean, we played the audio of Rick Venturi saying that. I, I didn't necessarily say that. I, I've seen some pretty bad Colts football since they've come to Indianapolis. But um, I appreciate the counterpoint as well, and I appreciate Brian's enthusiasm and, and passion for the team. I Our job is to objectively – say what we observe and and if you look at the eight games jake the interim jolt was there at the start beat the raiders the eagles game he points to and then that's when it really started to wane to chat more about this joel a erickson from the indianapolis stars with us joel if you don't mind um for those that missed it your, your piece sunday after the game i think shed some more light and i think nat newell your editor also had some information that that kind of further proved your point but for those that might have missed it could you give us a little bit of detail on just exactly how the Jeff Saturday eight-game tenure relates to those other interim stints around the NFL and really the history of the league? Yeah, so so Nat, uh, who's great at, at pulling up numbers and finding all this stuff and does a, does a great job for us, had a spreadsheet, and um, I, I was just kind of looking at one and seven, and if, if you go back... If you, if you if you say longer stints, the, the bigger sample size stints of interim coaches, so we, we set it at six games or more, uh, you have to go all the way back to Dave McGinnis with Arizona in 2000 to have a worse record than Jeff Saturday had with the Colts. Uh, and McGinnis went one and eight. So 
you know, it was it went one and seven, one and eight, basically the same type of thing. The other thing was he took over a team that was the Cardinals were two and five, I think, uh, before that. Uh, whereas I mean, you know, the Colts have another win, another tie on there. Um, so yeah, just it, it's it's the worst long term interim stint in more than two decades. How many coaches fit into that criteria? Uh, seventeen, and that includes Steve Wilkes, who went six and six with Carolina this year. So it, it's it, there's a I mean there's a lot of coaches. It, it, it the thing is like you think of interim coaches as taking over bad teams and kind of just playing out the string, but generally uh, off. Actually, more often than not, the interim coach does better than the person who was fired earlier. Now, yeah, I remember seeing something like that, and I guess that that's something that I wouldn't have initially thought of. But you know, you point to Steve Wilkes, for example. I mean, yeah, the, there are Rich Passaccia last year. That is something that I don't think we maybe think of a whole lot with the interim coaches. But the the, the coach that got fired is usually fired for for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you can, you know, I think. Obviously, there were reasons that Frank Reich was fired, but you know he, he was forty thirty three and one um, with a he, he was seven games over five hundred. The, the interim behind him was is six games under five hundred in, in just eight games. You know, and I think just some of those numbers, like you, you can try to break it, you can get down into the weeds of offense, defense, what they did, didn't do, but ultimately, it, I, I just kept thinking if if you're going to fire Frank Reich for um, not being able to win with this roster, doesn't that have to apply to the interim too? It's it's the same roster essentially. I mean, you, you know, Jeff Saturday didn't have Jonathan Taylor for three games. Well, Frank Reich didn't have Jonathan Taylor for three games. You know, he didn't have Shaq Leonard most of the season. It was Frank Reich didn't have Shaq Leonard. You know, it's it's pretty much the same thing. Um, and and it, I guess you know they're, they're sort of asking us to judge it differently, which is. Not what the first half of the season I thought was the lesson that we, that we were taught. Let me give you guys both a counterpoint that was just sent to me that I think is fair. I want either of you to to answer to it. Uh, not that you guys are the ones that said it, but um, hey, Jake, wasn't Mike Vrabel zero and eight during Jeff Saturday's tenure as an interim coach? I get the the point being made there. Either one of you guys say that again. Wasn't Mike Vrabel? So in other words, we're sitting here saying like Jeff Saturday had this disastrous thing and one in seven proves it uh, mike vrabel was zero and eight was he not in the last eight games and yet we say that mike vrabel is you know one of the elite coaches in the nfl well i think the mike vrabel re- my counter to that would be the mike vrabel resume has a whole lot of good on it that can overcome seven straight losses to end the season it, it, it's not good but i think there were a lot of injuries at play for Tennessee, and also they fired their GM midseason, some dysfunction within that organization. Again, it's not a great run, but it's not a good run at all. But I I'm think playing Mike devil's for, advocate, but there were some things that Saturday had to contend with as well, including injuries and turmoil around him, right? Yeah, I don't think to the level of that. I mean, they were on a quarterback they signed two and a half weeks ago. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same I'm in the same place. You're you're what what you're doing when you're doing that is you're asking us to sort of Ignore everything Mike Vrabel's done before this, um, which you know, if you if Jeff Saturday had something before this, then we could give him credit for that. But he doesn't. So um, you know, I think Mike Vrabel, you know, 
generally winning the AFC South up until this up until this collapse this season, maybe maybe it puts him on on more of shaky ground than he was when they fired John Robinson. Um, but his his lifetime record, he's still fourteen games over five hundred with the seven with with the seven or eight game losing streak or whatever it was to end the season this year. It, so that's that's that would be my counterpoint is there's there's a much longer track record whereas Jeff Saturday doesn't have one. yeah that's yeah, true I mean the number one seed in the AFC with Derrick Henry missing half of last season I think Mike Rabel gets the benefit of the doubt um, in that regard again Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline um, Joel I guess last one for me Saturday related he mentioned the phrase significant change that is something he would instill if he were to get this job full time he would not go into detail on what that is uh, based off your best guess what, what do you think he was meaning behind that um, so that that was that's without him he, he didn't give a ton of hints on it I felt like like was it scheduling stuff was it it's got to be stuff that he couldn't change you know I, I know we were told that they, they had more one on ones in practice like ones on ones in practices that was something he could change um, uh, uh, he could be talking about the fact that he would hire his own offensive coordinator who's going to come in and change the scheme. Um, he could be talking about stuff behind the scenes that we don't see very much. Uh, there just wasn't a lot there in terms of hints of what the big significant changes were. The schedule, like, it could be scheduling stuff. He could just like the day to go differently and, um, the way responsibilities are divvied up among coaching staff to be different. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I wondered if that significant change was something that would be obvious to us from the outside or if it would be something that was more of that football stuff that happens behind the scenes that sometimes they assume that we just can't grasp or um, understand. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He is with the Indianapolis Star, of course, covering the Colts. Joel, Chris Ballard is going to address the media here in about two hours, a little over two hours from now. Um, what's the burning question that you want to find out an answer? If you were to, you know, I, we'll see how truthful he is, but if you could put truth serum, truth serum in him, top questions what? Uh, is he comfortable with the way, the, with how much control he has over the team right now? And and how much influence Jim Mersey has had on uh some of the major decisions, you know, and does he expect to have the kind of decision-making power he needs going forward? That's that to me is it's it's almost the the only question. Um, I, I don't know if you just jump right in with that uh, right off the bat, but that's the big one for me. How much control do you believe he has? Well, with the quarterback situation, you know, we we know Ursay. Yeah, made the change to Ellinger. You know, they they he. I forgot about this. I was reading through the owners' meetings transcripts and said, you know, Ballard was kind of going back and forth with the Falcons on on what they were going to trade for Matt Ryan. And Ursay told us at the owners' meetings that he said, Chris, you just need to get this done. Um, obviously, he had a, a significant amount of. Uh, he so sort of said Carson Wentz isn't going to be back here. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, or I can't think of anything. But beyond the quarterback position, but they have the fourth pick in the draft. They're going to be making a quarterback pick here, I think most of us assume. 
and uh, you would assume you want your scout to make that decision, especially in a draft where it doesn't appear, I, I'm not a draft analyst, but it doesn't appear that there's a a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback prospect the, the way there was you know, when they drafted Peyton Manning or when they drafted Andrew Luck. So the, the scouting and, and the decision-making, it, it matters more in this one because it's not quite as, hey, we've got a John Elway-type prospect here. We just take that one. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that that's, that's as, as big a question as any. You know, Ursay has always said that he has – he's always going to have influence on quarterback because it's one of the pillars of the organization. I think that makes sense for the owner, but in terms of, you know, how much, how much is Ballard's scouting acumen, um, going to make that decision is, is the question for me. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, we saw four names late last night via uh, interview request uh, from the Colts. That would be Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator from the Lions, Aaron Glenn, former cornerback. He's now the defensive coordinator, also for the Lions. Uh, Raheem Morris, who has a head coaching stint in Tampa, was an interim in Atlanta as well. He's the current defensive coordinator for the Rams. And then Shane Steichen, who actually comes from a bit of a Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni coaching tree. He is the OC in Philly. Um, again, four interview requests. These all can happen this week because three of the four aren't in the playoffs and the other one has a bye. Uh, any of them stand out to you more than the others? Uh, I think the interesting thing to me with Raheem Morris is his experience on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, Yeah, I didn't realize he had that offensive stint for like several years in Atlanta. Yeah, four years in Atlanta, which... You know, you always hear coaches talk about how they have a specialty in one side or the other, and then, but as a head coach, you have to be involved on both sides of the ball. Um, Morris, obviously, his, his background is defense. You know, he, he's been a defensive coordinator, defensive backs coach for a long time, but four years in offensive meeting rooms and wide receivers coaches, that's in the passing game and everything. So that's, that's a significant amount of time. Um, that's just kind of, it's just kind of interesting to me that, He's got that experience on both sides of the ball. Johnson and Steichen, I think, are also very interesting to me just because this this Colts team is, like, the, the, the chief thing wrong with this Colts team based on what we just saw is the offense. And so whoever they hire, whether it's a defensive coach or an offensive coach, like, whatever they end up with coordinator, whoever's making those decisions is going to be paramount, I think, to me, especially if they're drafting a rookie quarterback. And those guys... Uh, I think what's interesting about both Steichen and Johnson is those guys have been coordinating offenses where it's not, they don't have, you know, one of, I guess what I sort of think of now as the, the holy trio of the, the, of the NFL, Mahomes or Allen or uh, Joe Burrow. You know, they have, I mean, Ben Johnson had like a, a top five offense this year with Jerry Goff, who was a punching bag a couple years ago, you know? And, and Jay traded away Hawkinson. Yeah, Jalen Hurts is very, very good, but he wasn't thought of that way going into this. You know, what Steichen and Sirianni have done with him have mattered, and I think that's that's a good thing for a Colts offense that's probably trying to break in a young quarterback and develop and give him some some help and easy throws that they're getting in some of these other offenses. Aaron Glenn, I know, uh, I covered him in New Orleans. Um, Whatever the Lions, the Lions don't have a lot of talent on defense yet. Um, I think that's probably coming in the next couple drafts and, and off seasons for them. 
but uh, Aaron Glenn is a very, like, he's a very captivating person when you talk to him in person. You know, so that's I think that's why he's been a a coaching candidate for a while now. Is is that you know he's he's just got a, a presence about him that that sticks out. Joel, yesterday some of the players on the roster spoke out or defended Jeff Saturday, saying that they would like to see him get an opportunity and that they you know like playing for him, etc. Uh, maybe it's somewhat rhetoric, but. Why didn't they play that way? And did any of them elaborate on why they went out and basically mailed it in? Um, well, I, I think a lot of the, like, DeForest Buckner was one of the guys who, uh, who I think his quotes about, about Saturday were, 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 were um, taken with some, some heft because of who Buckner is. And he, every time I talked to him after a game, he said he felt like guys were playing with effort. Um, Buckner was, uh, but and he didn't really have a lot of times when you talk to him after games. You'd ask him, you know, why why isn't this turning into something? And he's like, I, we're just not executing. I don't know. Um, like I, I don't know that he would have had a good answer if we followed with. I wasn't there when that in that interview grouping whenever that happened. Um, I, I don't know that anyone had it explained or had a good explanation for the disconnect between. You know, we think that these things were good, and they were helping. You know, they talked about, like I said, they talked about the one-on-ones in practice. They were competitive in practice, but they got increasingly less competitive in the games. Um, you know, that that thirty-eight to ten was it thirty-eight ten thirteen? I can't remember. But that Giants game was just completely uncompetitive. So um, Saturday was saying yesterday, you know. It, what you build in practice carries over to the games, but isn't isn't that what 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 everyone was so furious about with Reich at the beginning of the season that he was saying we've got we're doing well in practice and it hasn't carried over yet? Like I, I don't know. There's there's a disconnect there um, that's hard to explain because I, I don't know if anyone's given us a good explanation for it other than well, just give it time and the practices are going to take over. Uh, they, I mean, they had time; they had two months uh, to to for it to show, and instead it, it went the other way. Joel, last one from me, and again, Joel A. Erickson's with us here, the Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned um, the time that you've spent on the Saints beat. Obviously, that would have been with Sean Payton as their head coach. Um, your best guess as to kind of Sean Payton's thought process right now and potentially getting back into things. Well, so Sean, Sean operated with essentially, um, I, I would say, like essentially absolute power. In, in New Orleans, they did, they didn't have a very involved ownership. Um, the ownership was was very content to let their their football people handle it. And the front office in New Orleans, their their, their job when I was there and, and kind of still now, the way they approach it was just what he wants. We're going to figure out a way to get him, no matter the cost. Um, and so, I think that Sean Sean I think said on Fox his pregame show earlier this weekend, like ownership and the way the front office runs is maybe the most important thing to him. And just based off of when I covered that, when I covered him, I'm assuming that that's what he's looking for. He's looking for a chance to imp- implement his vision. I don't, Sean doesn't like to miss out on free agents. He doesn't like to, but when he wants a player, he wants a player. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad for the saints. 
but he wants that player. He doesn't really care about the cost. Uh, and and like I said, he sets the he sets the tone from the top down. Um, I, I would assume he probably wants a quarterback. Uh, and and but but I think more than that, the biggest thing is, you know, Sean came from the Parcells tree. He is a total control guy. That's what I'm used to. And I just find it hard to believe that he would be different than that after spending a decade and a half in New Orleans where he had all the power at his fingertips. Joel, what do you believe? You're a good person to ask this because you've covered outside of Indianapolis and the Colts. What do you believe is, and maybe this is a fluid question that is different now than it was even a year ago, what do you believe is the perception amongst the league of the ownership, the stability, the top brass of the Indianapolis Colts? Well, when when the coaching change happened and they hired Saturday, I got texts from around the league and stuff that were sort of saying that felt like a very stable franchise, a very, like, do the right things, good reputation type of franchise. What is? But, the, but then the, the back end of those text messages was, What's going on there now? What what is this? And that's kind of what I've continued to get um, from from the rest of the league since then. That they're, they're, for, I think from the outside looking in, number one from the outside looking in, I can tell you, Frank Reich did not have the like the vitriol that that was directed at Frank Reich in the beginning of the season from the Colts fan base. That that didn't exist really outside of like outside of here. I think most of the league was like, that guy's done a pretty good job with a bad quarterback situation. And and then to make the move to go to Jeff Saturday, to have some of the quarterback stuff happen, I think that I think that the the stuff that you're seeing on we have a tendency to discount what the national people say because oh they're national pundits and who cares what they think. But they talk like they what you're talking about, like they're covering different teams those guys have their fingers in all of the other teams, and they're, like what they're saying is coming from some of that. So I do think I do think this season changed the perception of what was considered a a very well run model franchise before what happened this season. And Joel A. Erickson from the Star, he will be there here coming up in about two hours. Chris Ballard season ending press conference at 10.30. Joel, thank you, man, and I will see you here in a bit. Okay, yeah, we'll see you, Katie. On the uh, Frank Reich front, Jay, Carolina has put in interview requests for Frank. I believe that's the only place I've seen so far. Uh, again, four openings. Obviously, he wouldn't get the job here in Indy. Um, Jamie asked this, and we can get more into this coming up a little bit later in the 8 o'clock hour. The way Joel describes Aaron Glenn as personality sounds like Mike Tomlin. You know, it's interesting. I, I kind of heard that um, from Raheem Morris, that that is a little bit more of a Mike Tomlin-type personality. And I mentioned it earlier, Ben Johnson, I know it's not you know the same sport, but I get a little Brad Stevens vibe just from an intellectual standpoint um, and just how people describe him from a mind uh, point of view. So we'll get more into these candidates coming up here in a few in our phone lines. They are crowded. Um, a lot of Jeff Saturday conversations. So we'll get to those here coming up after our morning checkdown. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
New college basketball polls are out. The number one team in the land, Kelvin Sampson's Cougars of Houston, followed by Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, Tennessee, and UCLA. That's the top six in the coaches poll in terms of the Associated Press poll, Houston, Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, Tennessee, and Connecticut. Indiana falling out of the top 25. Uh, last night, it was not a game at all at SoFi Stadium. Well, I guess it was 10-7 at one point. Uh, 55 straight by the Georgia Bulldogs. They beat TCU 65-7. to Every time I see that score, I continue to be in shock. Most ever points scored against a top five team in the history of college football. It's the biggest bowl margin ever. That's 58. And Jake, all I thought to myself watching that was, I'm so glad this is not Notre Dame. <laughs> okay. I thought the same thing about Clemson. I, I was watching it thinking, there's no way, right? I mean, Georgia was just on a totally different playing field. And Ohio State clearly was right there with them. A buddy of mine who's an Ohio State fan texted me in about the third quarter and said, what do you think the Ohio State players are thinking watching this? And my response was, they're, they're probably thinking, wait a minute, these guys beat Michigan? I said yesterday, like, were the semifinal games too good? that it's greedy of me to expect a competitive final. And that ended up <laughs> being true with just how awful of a game that was. Stetson Bennett, six total touchdowns. It was 38-7 to at halftime. Um, and Brock Bowers was outstanding and tied in for Georgia. So they'll go for the three-peat in Houston next year. We have never had a, three, uh, a, a three-peat in college football. Uh, back to college basketball, by the way. Butler tonight at St. John's. That is a 6.30 tip. St. John's comes in. They're not very good, five right? Five-game skid. That's correct. They are 11-6 and six overall, but they've lost five in a row. Butler is 10-7, and 2-4 and four in Big East play. Ball State taking a seven-game win streak to Ohio to take on the Bobcats in Athens, Ohio. Ohio comes in two-game skid. That's a 7 o'clock tip tonight. Ohio, though, is unbeaten at home. Georgia Tech is at Notre Dame at 7 o'clock. Irish, Kevin, I don't need to remind you, have a three-game skid. When you said that, I thought to myself, it feels like 13 games. So it's interesting to hear, but I guess they did play like Jacksonville State back in late December. For the Pacers, they will be off to New York today. They're going to take on the Knicks tomorrow night. They've got a back-to-back at home coming up this weekend. I think it's Hawks and Grizzlies. Grizzlies would be one of the home games, Jake. You'd probably circle. As a, oh, wow, I really want to go see that team yeah, play against sure. the Pacers. The only trip for Memphis to Gamebridge Fieldhouse this season, so that comes up. Josh Molinex, diehard Grizzlies This fan, weekend, though. he is a diehard Grizzlies fan. We'll see about the update on TJ McConnell. A right shoulder injury from Sunday night. And when Tony East joins us in the 9 o'clock hour, I want to get more into the Miles Turner news. Contract related from over the weekend. What does he make of it? And what does he think about the changing of agents for Miles Turner. We come back again. A lot of calls to get to. Jeff Saturday related. Chris Boward's presser coming up here in a couple of hours. And we'll look at the four interview request candidates early on for the Annapolis Colts. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton on a Tuesday. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I know my name's getting attached to wins and losses, so whatever happens, that, that ain't my business, right? You know, I'm about W's and L's, and, and I want to be the best head coach I can be. And so, no, yeah, and, and I make sure, you know, we haven't even addressed it, but, Chevin, you know, from my, th- my train of thought, it has never been about what it looks like, whether I was a player or even now as a, st- you know, as a coach, what it looks like next year. It's about now. That was Jeff Saturday back in late November. Certainly sung a different tune yesterday at a season-ending press conference in terms of the accountability towards that 1-7 record. He did mention something, Jake, that I wanted to point out before we get some calls, um, that if he were to get the full-time head coaching gig, he would be the CEO of things in that he would hire an offense coordinator, he would hire a defensive coordinator, he would hire a special teams coordinator and oversee that. So think... Again, Mike Tomlin like, Tony Dungy like, Bill Belichick like. You know, he wouldn't be Frank Reich. He wouldn't be calling the plays and also be the OC. I am curious, like, what would that mean for Gus Bradley? What does that mean for Bubba Ventrone? Like, does Jeff Saturday have on a piece of paper right now? This is my OC. This is my DC. This is my special. Well, that's team what somebody asks. Is you know who would be the OC, for example? Would it be Dan Orlovsky? You know, that's that would be. Probably the first first question people would have, right? <laughs> Dan Orlovsky, yeah, maybe, right? Didn't Orlovsky come out and say like he was talk to Jeff Saturday? Marcellus Wiley's the D coordinator. What about, oh, we, are we going full ESPN? Yeah. Rex Ryan. That's right. As your DC. That's right. Rex Ryan did not do well on Amazing Race. He was likable, but he didn't do well. It's weird. You think the feet not, would yeah, come in handy on Amazing Race? Thing. Okay. Odd. Okay. Wouldn't have expected that one. You you brought it up, Jake. <laughs> You can't sit it on a tee and just expect us to move on. He would have done the same thing if the roles were reversed. 1,000%. 1,000%. Uh, Clint has been hanging around for a while. Wanted to talk some Jeff Saturday. Clint, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. What's up? Hey, so uh, this is not a defense of Jeff Saturday. I don't know that he's the guy. Uh, but I also don't know that any anybody was going to do much better than what he did. And I say that based on really one one thing. This is the worst offensive team I think I've ever seen, probably since the sucks of luck, and you can probably go back and compare them. I think you take the Jacksonville game away, the second Jacksonville game away. I can't think of a single drive this year where I thought our offense is doing what they want to do and this defense can't stop them. I think as a defensive coordinator, I told my guys, uh, play five yards off the ball. We're going to go with the, the offensive line. They're either going to hold, they're going to fall start, or we're going to beat them and, we're, and, and we couldn't throw the ball. Um, and, and I think that the big thing between how we judge Frank Reich and how we judge Jeff Saturday is uh, Frank Reich helped build this team. He constructed this team. He signed off on the terrible quarterback things where Jeff Saturday inherited it. But I, I just – and then the last thing, and then I'll get off here, was, yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff Saturday had a lot of collapses. There, were, there weren't any games in the Frank Reich era, or at least this season, where we could even collapse because we were already 20 behind, 25 behind, and he's going in the locker room saying, yeah, well, we got – we got Matt Ryan, so this is what we're used to. Where at least Jeff Saturday, we were competitive in some of these games. 
Um, it, worst offense I've ever seen. They were just dreadful. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Clint. A big problem with with that, and I don't disagree, Clint, with, with some of the things you said there, but offensively speaking, the one thing that I would say if I was assigned to counterpoint the offensive things about Jeff Saturday would be part of that offensive uh, you know, in, part of the offense's problem, quite frankly, came down to the offensive line. And that was the area that Jeff Saturday was thought to be the one, you know, the one area where you thought that he would be able to put a footprint on it and make a difference. JJ, what's up? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, real quick, just a couple of points here. Um, you had mentioned it earlier, uh, I think maybe Kevin, either you or Jake said it, that at the end of the day, yeah, Jeff Saturday is a great guy, but you have a job to do. It's just like any other workplace job. If you're not performing in that position, we got to move on. We got to find somebody else. And you just can't ask for a second chance if you just started coaching and you have this talent, a very talented defense, and they need to work on offense. And then you put them in, out there. Some of them like him and some of them do not really want him as coach. And let's just be honest about it. And you put them out there next season, it's going to be discouraging to some of the players. And the third thing, and I'll let you guys go on this, he is considered a head coach right now. So is his name floating around at any other franchise to be interviewed just in case he doesn't get to spot hey appreciate it guys thanks brian um or thanks jj sorry i just got brian on my mind from last uh last segment um it's a point that i've made a few times here and jj brings up a, a strong point there that of the four other openings you aren't hearing jeff saturday's name thrown around there and that's why jake you look at the four names that have come out so far as interview requests and you see how this process will unfold and if it rivals anything like chris ballard's last interview process you're going to get some names that are probably outside the box that aren't i mean matt rule at baylor was interviewed here very early in his baylor tenure um back in 2018 uh, you have got to take advantage of this process. It is, you know, when you fire your head coach, you are afforded such a great opportunity and that all of a sudden candidates that maybe you didn't even think of or didn't even come across your desk or you didn't even know have had interest, they start showing up. And I think it would be a disservice if you were quick to say, nope, you know, I think Jeff Saturday is the best candidate or here's my safety school and I don't need to explore all of these other opportunities. No, you need to look at all avenues if anything you just get intel from people um, as well i think that's a big part of this process but there is no need to rush into this for jim mercy and chris ballard if they want it to be jeff saturday which again i i'm not i know chap you know 50 50 yesterday chaps extremely plugged in i i don't know if i'm 50 50 i think i might be a hair lower than that i want to play one more time you know rick venturi who has been an interim coach at two different stints in the national football league he was one in 15 with the colts in 1991 he took over when uh, rod meyer who himself had been an interim and rod meyer is the only interim coach in colts history to be named a head coach after serving as the interim for the colts and then Rick Venturi took over the year where he had to suspend Eric Dickerson. There was a lot of lot going on in 1991, uh, not unlike now, admittedly. That led to the Colts having the first and second pick in the 92 draft. They went with Steve Entman and Quentin Corriott. Um, Rick Venturi later was, again, an interim head coach in New Orleans after Jim Mora stepped down with the Saints. So he knows a little bit about the situation or the position that Jeff Saturday's in. But last night on Colts Roundtable on this radio station, 
uh, Rick Venturi, who is now the radio color analyst for the Indianapolis Colts, was pretty candid in his thoughts on Jeff Saturday. In my world, he gets a very poor grade, okay? And maybe no fault of his own. I just feel like that, you know, he's way over his head. You know, it's like you, uh, it's like you take a chiropractor and you make him the head surgeon at Ascension or at the Cleveland Clinic. It's just, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a snorkeler. You have a surface knowledge of what this job is all about. And you're in the you're in the ocean, you know, with guys that have learned their craft and busted their craft and are totally knowledgeable A to Z, and it's just not it's just not the same. And you know, we can rationalize he can rationalize on why you know what he why he couldn't do this, but you know, at the end of the day, that seven games, that last seven games, I would say I was here in the eighties, early nineties. You know, I remember 98, I remember 2011, and I would say that there is no worse stretch in the history of Indianapolis Colts football. You know, when you look at the final seven games, Jake, I think a lot of where Rick Venturi's comments come from there, and obviously listeners to this program have heard me say it now for several weeks, the season has turned from disappointment to embarrassing. It's because it got worse, and again, of historic proportions. I mean, you look at what happened in the fourth quarter in Dallas. uh, 98 years since the last time a team got outscored by 33 points in the final quarter of a game. Again, that's NFL history. The next week against Minnesota, you've got to go 102 years. The history of the National Football League to see a team blow a lead like that. And the week after against the Giants, you know, I would argue that that one might be the most embarrassing over the course of 60 minutes. Uh, The Giants did not win a game by more than eight points all season, and you lost to them by 28. What you had there, Jake, was you had three opportunities to play spoiler in each of those three games, Dallas, Minnesota, the Chargers. What happened last year in Week 17 and 18 for the Colts? Their opponents played spoiler against them. And they were completely flat. Completely outplayed in the finale as well in Jacksonville. The Raiders game was a little bit closer. You see interim stints. Teams play spoiler to a degree. I mean, like it's not like these teams just come out and they just lay dead for eight games. And I think that is where the embarrassment, and obviously what you had on Sunday from, once again, double-digit deficit to an AFC South team, the worst record in the NFL in the Houston Texans, and they come in here, convert multiple fourth downs late, long fourth downs, a two-point conversion, all of that. You get all that embarrassment, I think that's what adds to finally... I, I do, We'll see if, again, Jim Mercer gets pulled in a different direction once Jeff Saturday has his full interview with them, but as of now, I think the embarrassment's too much for Ursay to overlook. My only thing with Saturday is... From the players talking positively about him and saying that they they liked him and they you know they'd like to see him get a, a chance, then where were the results? Why did they play that way? They had you know they've had a month and a half, two months to. They played worse under the interim than correct. they did under the permanent. I mean, it's pretty oh, hard. into the end zone. For us. <laughs> Is that our Venturi? Oh my God! Yeah. Possession oh into the end zone. For us. Yeah, I mean, which that's... fourth down was that? You know, again, the, the fact that you like asked these questions, which embarrassment was that? Um, further, I adds mean, to it. Do we have Jonathan Taylor talking about Jeff Saturday? And I realize Jonathan Taylor was hurt. Maybe he's a bad example. Um, 
But, you know, he was one of Matt Ryan also talking about Jeff Saturday. I mean, I got okay, here's Jonathan Taylor on Jeff Saturday. I definitely do think Jeff Saturday is a great coach. Um, I think I mentioned to you guys before the passion that he has, not only for the game, but for this organization as far as just wanting to make sure this organization is in the best position for success, utilizing the coaching staff, utilizing the front office, and then helping the players. That's all he wants. He wants the Indianapolis Colts to be a dominant force in the NFL. That's all Jeff Saturday wants. See, my only thing is, if that's the case, and that's that's cool, and again, I'm just simply playing devil's advocate here, but if that's the case, then why didn't they play it? And I realize Jonathan Taylor was hurt for a lot of the year, but why didn't the team go out? If they love Jeff Saturday and they love his passion and they love his desire to make the Colts uh, you know, a competitive team and et cetera, et cetera, then why didn't they go out and show it? They There, is no, there are no 53 people in this city that had more ability to impact Jeff Saturday's statement about being the the permanent coach than those players and they looked complete it was weekend at bernie's for like seven weeks right secondly when jeff saturday says if i become the the head coach there are gonna be a lot of changes around here wasn't that why you were brought in as the interim one thing to point out on saturday we haven't mentioned yet today um it was reported yesterday i retweeted i think it was the athletic that had that that espn has significant interest in jeff saturday returning to the company as an analyst should he no longer be coaching the colts heading forward so if that indeed happens we'll see i asked saturday yesterday would you be open to a position coach or a front office role and that was not something that he wanted to um, go down that path. Let's get to Blake. Blake, uh, I think, has a specific kind of coaching trait he wants to see in the next head coach. What's up, Blake? Hey, yeah, for sure, guys. Thanks for your time. Um, I just think it's absolute malpractice to draft a young quarterback and have Jeff Saturday as the head coach. Like, look at the young guys in this league that have survived and that have done really well as young quarterbacks. Like, with Burrow, Mahomes, uh, Allen, for example, I think you have to get him a good offensive play caller and a good offensive minded coach. So would that rule out the defensive would that rule out the defensive minded coaches too, Blake, along with Jeff Saturday in your mind? You know, I mean I was I guess it would lean on more on who would be the offensive play caller then. Right. You know, because defensive guy, you know, who knows maybe we get like a Cliff Kingsbury or something. But I think you have to get a good offensive minded coordinator or head coach. Jake, I think it's a brilliant point that Blake makes. Um I don't know if I'm to the degree of him that I just kind of totally alienate that side of the ball or those sorts of candidates, but I mentioned it earlier, and I'll bring it up a lot here over the next few weeks. One thing I don't think maybe, I don't know, maybe it does get a lot of play because Tom Moore was pretty beloved here, Jake. You know how grateful Peyton Manning should be, and I don't know, maybe Tom Moore was grateful because he had Peyton Manning, that Tom Moore never wanted to pursue head coaching gigs? Peyton had that offensive stability throughout his career. You know, uh, or honestly, you know who also had it in New England? Was Tom Brady with Josh McDaniels. Give me a good example of that. That's the worry if you I go know, defensive coach. I know that in this town people have their opinions on Jeff George. I respect that. I know that I have been and I will always be, and I was not when he was a player, but I'm a defender of Jeff George because I've gotten to know Jeff George, so I'm biased. And I've heard, to further that, I've heard some behind-the-scenes stories I would echo that. Um, And, Kevin, if you look at Jeff George, you know, back then, the Colts in 19, and I know I'm going back 30-plus years, but I'm doing it for the sake of comparison. 
The Colts in 1990 traded away Andre Risen and Chris Hinton. That was brilliant, right? Let's trade our best receiver and our best lineman for a quarterback. But when they brought in Jeff George, Jeff George in the, the three and a half or four years that he was here had what, like three different head coaches and five offensive coordinators? I, I mean... Stability. Yeah. It's so key. I mean, and, and you're talking about a guy that was the number one overall pick in the draft, and the Colts weren't the only team that would have taken him number one overall, who had a historic season at the University of Illinois and unquestionably one of the most golden arms in the history of the league. You, 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 if you got a circus act around it, you're going to get a circus act in results. I said it to Mark earlier. That would be my worry if and when Justin Fields and the Bears get to that level. If Luke Getze leaves, what's the offensive blueprint around Justin Fields? I did have to read this text. Um, this is in reference to the Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jeff Saturday's got passion. Uh, this text I got, Jake. I have passion for golf and want to be the best golfer on the planet, but that doesn't mean I have enough in the tank to win majors on tours. <laughs> you know it's fair that's fair and that's from someone that let's just say knows professional sports uh uh, tony east talk a little pacers coming up in about 10 minutes tony east gonna join us coming up when saint jude opened in 1962 childhood cancer was considered incurable since then saint jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20 percent to more than 80 percent St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Just about uh, 10 minutes from now, a little under that. Talking a lot of Colts this morning, a lot of good calls, much appreciated. We'll go right back to it. As a matter of fact, Adam joins us at 239 1070 on a Tuesday. Good morning, Adam. Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all doing? All right. All right. So let me ask you a question. And so I'm going to ask a few questions here that will lead to my final point here. So I, I know you guys speak ad nauseum about the, the clock starting on either the head coach or Ballard once they select a quarterback. Is that is that true? Yeah, I believe that's the case. Yeah, that, that, that really amplifies it, in my opinion. Okay, so not only is this a really important draft pick for the Colts, but hiring, uh, whether it be the offensive coordinator or head coach, to uh, to create stability for this quarterback is equally as important because Ballard's job is on the line starting at this draft pick. And I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on the validity of my statements. Thanks, guys. I think that's fair. Like we said, I think you've got to have – stability all the way around and Kevin would you agree with me I mean that's what I've always said like for Ballard I think part of why he hasn't drafted a quarterback yet maybe they he, yeah. they haven't felt like one was out there for them where they were which again I think is a lazy excuse and I agree <clears throat> I want to get into that more here in the coming days I totally agree but still it all ramps up now 
Yep. Once they get one. And I've brought this up to you before, and you certainly know Jim Mercer's history as a general manager more, but it's always confused me how he has just kind of signed off on the Band-Aid because in Ursay's eyes, and this is something I agree with with Ursay, he wants two Super Bowls in a decade for his franchise. As a fan, I would love to hear that. Great aspirations to be a perennial contending team at the top of the NFL. He's very public with those comments. The only way to truly achieve that, in my opinion, is to find the quarterback that's going to be here through that type right. of run. You know, Kansas City can flirt with that. Buffalo can flirt with that. There are other teams in the AFC that have more realistic hopes of flirting with that. The Colts are not because a big reason why, because of the path they've chosen at quarterback. Uh, Larry wanted to talk a little Doug Peterson. Good morning, Larry. Larry? Yeah, I just wanted to say I love the show, and I, Jake's probably my favorite part of it. I, especially I, I when don't he, know about He's a really funny guy, and Larry, some please, of his stories are great. Please come back. I'll, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Mark, you said Larry Thanks, wanted Larry, to know that. how the Colts find their Doug Peterson. Yeah, he was wanting to know how the, the Colts find their Doug Peterson. Well, well I think having Trevor Lawrence inside. Jacksonville White Pages. I think having Trevor, he's unlisted, though? <laughs> Trevor Lawrence inside your building would probably probably help, right? Again, how attractive is this? How attractive is the fourth overall pick? The fact that, and Jacksonville, I think, had some talented pieces on the defensive side of the ball. The fact that I think Doug Peterson looked at it and said, hey, there's talent there. There's a quarterback that a lot of people labeled as a generational prospect. If I just go there and help out, that's that's a rather quick fix. It's an easy division. That's how I think Doug Peterson viewed it. I don't know if people view Indy's job in the same light. I think that the owner involvement also deters some from the Colts. And I don't know that that was the case two years ago, three years ago. One more. BW on Star Chris Ballard. BW. What up? What up? What up? What's up? Man, when does Ursay pull the plug on Ballard, man? I don't think it's happened anytime soon. Unless you get a coach that all of a sudden wows Ursay to the degree where that coach would say, hey, I want personnel control, and then that could influence Ballard. Where'd BW go? Is he gone? He's gone. He sounded like a fun guy. I wanted BW to be invited to my PBR party. Now, would... What? I, 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 I guess we're not there, but would Ballard at all... The fact that he's talking today probably says no to this, but does he feel like his voice has been muted to any degree to where he would leave? If you're going to talk today, you, you probably aren't of that line of thinking. It depends what his options are. Right? If the Tennessee Titans called you and said, come be the GM for... Mike right. They sure seem like they're going for a regime change of some sort with all the coordinators and stuff that left yesterday. If you were Bauer, Jake, what would you do there? I don't know what his contractual status is in terms of non-competes and things like that. Um, but I would think if you're Chris Ballard, you would... I don't want to speak for Chris Ballard, and I want to make very clear I am not saying this because I've heard anything of the ilk, but if I was Chris Ballard, I would be interested to see where my phone rang. Chris Ballard meets the media in about 90 minutes for a season-ending presser. Haven't talked a lot of Pacers today. We'll get into that conversation coming up next with Tony East. Hey, fam. 
I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I think I'm going to leave five minutes early today. Well, okay, fine. Five or ten, which I kind of feel like the kid that had the doctor's appointment in elementary school and just how happy you were all day knowing that you could leave and not come back. <laughs> Do you remember the thrill of like if you had a dentist appointment or whatever and your mom was like, you, you can go to McDonald's? Well, honestly, I mean, can you imagine a dentist appointment at 1030 versus like 145? I mean, 145, you're not coming back. Right. 1030, you're coming back to school. Then there's the other side of that, which was if you would um, get to stay home sick from school, and it was awesome until like 11, once like the game shows were over and the soaps came on. You're like, this is terrible. Ooh, grandma's house. Mark, you'd love this. WGN, Cubs game, baby. There 1 you o'clock. Go. There you go. <laughs> 1 o'clock first pitch. Dial no. it up there. Grandma Donahue's. But if it wasn't baseball season, the price is right ends, and then they're like, well, wait a minute. Now Bold and the Beautiful's on. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. Where's Capital? the VHS I can pop I'm in. confused by the hourglass Yeah, you know, on the uh, on the old soap operas. It has not been a soap opera at all for the Indiana Pacers this season. Tony East, who does an outstanding job covering the Pacers for SI and Forbes, locked on Pacers as well. He joins us. Uh, Tony, I want to start with kind of the the news of the weekend. Jake and I hit it a little bit yesterday, but Mark Stein's report that the camp of Miles Turner has turned down early extension talks, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. I probably don't have the language exactly right. Still got a month to go until the NBA trade deadline, but what did you make of that news? Yeah, the, I'll never forget. They, they rebuffed. That's the verb. Rebuffed. Thank uh, you. I knew it was a good SAT word. <laughs> It was, it was. Mark Stein, excellent reporting there. Yeah, look, if it had said that the Pacers offered the maximum they possibly could, which would be stupid of them, or that he rejected all extension offers, then this would be a huge deal, obviously. This would be the end of the discussion of extensions, and immediately if you're the Pacers, you have to start putting together your board of all the offers and thinking about what this means or your trade deadline plans, what, what, but it didn't say that, right? So I, I don't, what I don't know is, is this step one of negotiations or is this something more? And I think that is where this story starts and needs, and needs to be figured out a little more is, is what does that actually mean for a Miles Turner contract extension, right? Because be, the way they can offer an extension with giving him the, the raise this year and then the salary would go down in the future but still be pretty significant and it allows them to offer more than other teams because there's so many permutations, it can be a, a pretty sizable contract. And so this could just be step one of negotiations, right? You never come to the table with the biggest offer you're going to offer. And if you're the player, you obviously want 
you want more and you're going to turn it down. So on one hand, this could, yes, be a, be a problem. If Turner's not willing to accept an extension, then yes, they have to consider trading him still. But if this is just natural negotiations, then that's just natural negotiations. We'll find out more in a month. So I think that as this progresses, this becomes more serious, especially as the deadline approaches. But a month away, I think it's a negotiation day one for the, for the two parties. Tony, in your gut, one to ten scale, ten being the most, obviously one being the least, uh, what is the level of desire for the Pacers to lock in Miles Turner? Yeah, I think the Pacers are probably closer to five or six. Now that they know that he fits really well with their core, it's you know it's in their age range for success. Now you know that they're younger, two stars that they're building around twenty-two and twenty years old. Turner's close enough in age that you know as they try to get good and and take the next steps, he could fit with that timeline, which was not thought to be the case before the season as much as it is now. Uh, so I would say five or six, maybe even a little higher, but you know, in, in the flexibility spot that they have, it's not like they're desperate to keep him or that he's their only option or anything like that. I would I would tend to agree with you on the little bit higher. I'd put that more at like an honestly probably an eight nine, which means it's probably a seven, right? Wow. Between the two of us. But other side of it, Miles Turner, uh one to ten scale. Ten being the one uh ten being the most, one being the least. What is Miles Turner's desire to stay at Indiana? Uh, look, I, I think Miles Turner's always liked Indiana, but obviously with the, the Aiton inclusion in the Pacers' plans this summer and the fact that he's never, ever been an unrestricted free agent and had the chance to be courted by other teams and get the biggest deal likely of his entire career has to be something that he's considering. So if the Pacers can give him the most money that he would possibly get on the open market right now, I think he'd be at a 10, and they can do that. Uh, but if that offer isn't on the table, then it's not going to be a 10, right? So I think it all depends on the money in that in that decision because of his looming free agency. So it, it's impossible to say exactly what that number is. But in terms of actually enjoying playing for the Pacers right now and, and liking Indiana, look, Miles Turner always has enjoyed this, this city and is definitely fitting in well and saying the right things about this team. So I'll put that at the 6 or 7 as well. Uh, Tony, should we put, and again, Tony East is with us here, T East NBA on Twitter. Should we put more stock into Miles Turner changed agents for a reason, and that reason is probably to find the best, best dollar possible? Yeah, I think you can always put stock into players changing agents for whatever their specific goals are for free agency. And I don't, you know, look, Turner told Jalen Smith to get his money last year, and most players have some sort of money motivation and free agency. So, yeah, I think there's something to that uh, to some extent. And, and, yeah, you know, for every player, of course, that's going to be a significant thing. So, uh, but, but look, with, with a situation like this, with the Pacers specifically, like the, the rules for the extension were the same regardless of who his agent is, which I think is important to keep in mind. So if he, if he found a new agent that's better at negotiating this type of deal for him, then maybe that, that was a motivator for him. But maybe it just has to do with, you know, relationships and, and finding the right situation for Miles Turner going forward. Say Turner is traded at the deadline. How do you see like the center position playing out for Indiana the rest of this season and then next year, uh, assuming, I guess, they don't make some monumental move at that position in the offseason? Yeah, if they don't get somebody back in the Turner trade as well, it would be a factor in their in their center plan, certainly. But you know, they have a lot of depth at that spot, which is 
an interesting thing as this season has progressed. Like Isaiah Jackson's just not playing right now at all, right? Uh, Jalen Smith's are back up five at the moment. Yoga's not playing at all. They kept James Johnson this weekend through the contract guarantee. They're like, they have a lot of guys who can play center if Turner's not on the team. Now, they, they don't play nearly as well as Miles Turner, but they're, they're good players. You know, they, they promised Jalen Smith the starting spot before the season that has has gone away already, but Smith has proven to be better at the five. He started a few times last year, okay. So I would imagine that if, if Turner is dealt and no no big man comes back in return, that Jalen Smith would start at center the rest of the way for the season, and then Isaiah Jackson would assume his duties as backup like he did after the All-Star break last season, and they would roll with that kind of similar rotation that they had with Goga in the mix. But Goga's future, too. You know, he's a free agent this summer as well. Who knows? What's going to happen there? If they end up trading multiple centers, they might have to find a way to bring in a third one just in case the depth comes to comes to that. But I would imagine it would be Jalen Smith, the starter, and Isaiah Jackson, the backup, and see how that works, right, with a team that is is good and is in the mix for the playoffs. Is, is Daniel Tice alive? <laughs> Daniel Tice is, is alive. Uh, he is actually closer to, you know, he's running full court now, and it sounds like he's closer to five on five, but... And I think I don't know where he would stand with this team, but I would imagine they would rather play Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson than Daniel Tice. I actually totally forgot about him, though. I'm glad for including his name. He does flip my mind every so often as he hasn't played for this team this year. So maybe if he's the best option, they would go with that. But I think they would like to see how their two young big Smith and Jackson can fit with this team if they're in a setting where they're you know really going for it, trying to win, trying to figure out where they can be in the postseason. Tony East is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He is T East NBA on Twitter, covering the Pacers for SI Pacers, Forbes, uh, among others, Locked On Pacers as well. Um, Tony, I, I'm just amazed, quite frankly, at how this came together so fast. And I know that I'm, I'm a broken record, but what I mean by that is, you know, you were there. I mean, at the beginning of the year when the Pacers. I think even the Pacers are amazed, quite frankly, at how, you know, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nimhard, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, how that that core with Jalen Smith has gelled with Miles Turner and Buddy Heald and Chris Duarte, I guess, as the complementary pieces around it. And I look at it and I go, I, I don't know other than just time and maturation how much tweaking this group needs. What tweaks does it need, though? Yeah, they they still aren't the most forceful defensive team every game, and I think that matters. At some point, you know, you, you, they're probably close to a bottom 10 defense. They're a little above that by the numbers, but it's just not a consistent thing for them. Quite yet, they found lineups that are a little better there, you know, as the second half of the season goes. Finding maybe one more forward defensive piece will be a key for them at some point in this team-building process, right, if Jabra set has a lot of duties as being the only person above six foot five who isn't a center that plays in that rotation every day, right? Things like that will be something that as this team grows, sure, they have pieces that fit very well together. Their new starting five is, is clicking really well and has been for about a month and a half now since they changed to it. But, uh, you know, finding one more guy who can do that seems like it would be very valuable for this team. And they continue to be miserable on the glass. Like, the, the, it, it, is a, it is definitely their biggest weakness as a team right now, and that is a consequence of the way they play. Their new starting five that's working is incredibly small, right? Aaron Neesmith plays the four. He's, you know, six 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 five. whatever website you look at. I'll have it differently. And they try to run in transition, so they aren't, they aren't going for the rebound as much as, as other teams are necessarily. But 
uh, that has been a problem for them. Rebounding has caused them to lose a couple of games this year, and it's hard to have the talent to do that and play they want to play. So I think finding the right balance of rebounds and and doing the things you want to do as well as maybe getting one more forward piece at some point, whether that's this year, this summer, next year, whatever, uh, would go a long way to to getting this core as constructed and is doing very well uh, a little farther, a lot farther, really. Tony, Rick Carlisle, Kevin Pritchard, whoever you talk to inside that building, they were very honest in the offseason about this is a rebuild. We are taking a step back to hopefully take multiple steps forward. Obviously, from a win-loss record, they have taken some very positive steps in the right direction this season. But I guess my question is, what were the Pacers' goals? Were, were the goals in this rebuild to get to that second tier of kind of Eastern Conference teams where they've been for long, long stretches here over the last couple decades? Or was the goal loftier to kind of shoot for the stars and think, all right, Halliburton's a piece, a a major piece, of course. We think Matherin has major piece sort of potential, but we, we still need one more to really get potentially to that top tier. Do you think they were a, hey, let's just get back to being a perennial type of playoff team or... Let's shoot for the moon a little bit and see if we can get to the Milwaukee, Boston, Philly tier. I think they were more the latter, certainly, the way they were talking in the offseason, like you said. You know, Kevin Pritchard was talking in his first media availability this season and, and talking about their new vision, which is, you know, more longer term and is less year to year and, you know, how that skews younger and all these things. But something he said is, you know, he said, I get asked all the time, do we have a core? And he said, no, we don't yet, right? We have to add to that core. And uh, that was very telling. And not, not even to say that he didn't believe in the talent he had, but just that he thought they needed to add more young talent at some point, right? And so I thought, or I interpreted that to mean that they would like to add one more dude to the, like, good, you know, solid, this is a build, building block kind of piece to this team at some point, whether that's the draft, free agency, trade, whatever, and there's a lot of ways they could do that, and right, you know, Rick Carlisle, thing he says at Media Day, is this is a new era of Pacers basketball, right, and he was talking about how, a little bit how this season would be more for him, a lot more teaching, you know, teaching skills and long-term development habits and things like that, that you know, it takes a lot more day that they focus on skills and big picture things, all the sorts of stuff that make, that suggested the Pacers were thinking, with a much more long-term vision this season to help them get that that last piece, that last bit of talent for this core. And yet, you know, all that stuff that they've been doing has turned into a 23-18 and 18 team with two obviously very good future players and Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and a bunch of other good young players. But I, I still believe that there is a long-term vision to get another the dude on this team at, at some point. Yeah, I... Tony, remind me, they have two first-round picks this year, right? There's no, There are no other picks that are coming in. Is that right, or are there are three? They have three. They have their own Boston's and Cleveland's. That's and if right. the Rockets That's finish right. with the worst record, they have the 31st pick, the first pick in the second round again, which... That's a lot of ammo for stuff that it's hard to it's gonna be hard to fit in a bunch of late first rounders onto their team. I didn't realize that. Wait, say that again about the early second rounder. Who was that? <laughs> so it's a very confusing trade. Uh, there, so if the Rockets end up with the worst record and have the thirty first pick, the Pacers get it. But if it's like thirty second through forty something, it goes to a different team. It's it's oh, so confusing. God. But but the so NBA, what? All that here, but <laughs> why do they do this? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy, but yeah, if the Rockets have the worst record, they, they could have the, the top pick in the second round as well. I'm telling you, can you imagine that four picks in the first 31. If they can find 
the steal of last year's draft was Andrew Nimhard. I mean, that guy's he's playing oh, yeah. significant. Yeah. He's a major part, Tony, of what they're doing. And I mean, I'm watching late in games, and I'm thinking, man, they got four guys out on the floor that are all you know so young, and he's. He literally is just as cool as, as a cucumber, man. Like, that guy just – he can flat-out play. If they can get another one of those out of one of those three and hit on it, they're in good shape. Really yeah, good shape. I was talking with, with uh, Dustin Dupierre from the Indy Star about that. Like, if you were naming the biggest surprises for the Pacers this season, Andrew Nembard might be number one. Yeah. Like, this, this kid was a point guard at Gonzaga last year. He goes in the second round. Now he's playing small forward and is guarding Damian Lillard or wh- whoever on any given night. And – doing a wonderful job putting 31 on Steph Curry's head in a road win. Like, who, who saw any of that coming? And he's, my, you know, he's one of their best perimeter defenders this season. They picked him in the second round six months ago. You know, it's, it's been unbelievable how good he's been. Yeah, and both ends of the floor. I mean, just putting a lot on his plate, to your point, playing a little bit out of position probably offensively, and he has been tremendous. T East NBA on Twitter. It's the Pacers and Knicks tomorrow night from Madison Square Garden. Tony, as always, man, terrific stuff. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. That's Tony East right there on the Payless Lickers hotline. Jake, I think it was Friday. Um, Derek Schultz and I were going back and forth a little bit on Twitter. It is rather amazing to think back on the last 12 months. And, you know, I think anybody, again, that's listened to the show knows that I was very critical of Kevin Pritchard's drafting in a a three-year stretch that I thought was extremely poor. And Aaron Holiday, TJ Leaf, and Gogo Batadze. But you look at the moves that Kevin Pritchard has made since February. Pretty impressive. Oh, my God. That is an understatement. The trade for Halliburton. Buddy Heald gets thrown in there. At the time, we looked at Buddy Heald almost as like just a a salary thrown in there. Obviously, the drafting of Matherin. The drafting of Nemhard. Jalen Smith, I think you could throw into that group as well, has been a piece. Um, Aaron Neesmith is kind of an intriguing piece as well. I mean, you can point to five or six player acquisitions that have all been hits. Again, different levels of hits. Obviously, Halliburton, Heald, and Matherin would be in a little bit of a different category than the others. But it is amazing what the Pacers have done in the last 12 months. And a major credit to Kevin Pritchard and that organization for, in different ways, trades in season, trades out of season, draft picks, second round pick, uh, to have reshaped things to a point where there's real hope. It's interesting when I look at, and I mean, this means nothing, but NBA draft.net, which just kind of slots the players in the upcoming draft based on. I thought you were know, tankathon in it. More so. Well, if we were to do the tankathon, um, with the the pick that Indiana get, and it, this just ranks the players that are available in the draft, and then you just kind of slot based on where they would go. So I don't think it really goes into what players would match places. But the right now, of course, having Boston's first round pick is like uh, okay. Well, I mean, it's going to be the you know the the first round pick that Boston has is going to be at the end of the draft, obviously be, uh, the round because they're the best team in the league, but. Uh, as it stands right now, oh. with the 30th pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Trace Jackson Davis Whoa. from the University of Indiana, which is how David or uh, David Stern always said University of Indiana it used to make me so mad. I don't see Jalen Hood Shafino mentioned anywhere for this year or next year, and I would really. Think that I he's thought he was be. mentioned. Boy, this, he certainly played like a first-round pick They've got to be overlooking him because of... I would think he's got to be high on that list. You want to do a Colts tankathon while we're at it? 
Sure. Allow me, please. We've got to be sponsored by them at some point, don't we? <laughs> What's that? we got to be sponsored by them at some point, right? Get it, Get our Tegathon sponsor? Yeah. Sure. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to go with... Okay, here we go. You ready? The latest NFL mock draft. Which version am I going with here? CBS Sports? Sure. Okay. Uh, hang on. i got to go through like 10,000... Well, okay, here we go. Here we go. Was this on the show prep? With the fourth pick in the 2023 NFL mock draft, the Indianapolis Colts select C.J. Stroud from Ohio State University. Give us one, two, and three there. Uh, Jalen Carter. They have Chicago's standing pat. Ooh, Mark Dykton probably not happy about not that. Not going to happen. Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Bryce Young second from Alabama. Will Anderson from Alabama going third. And C.J. Stroud fourth. I see yesterday that Michael Bedwell, Arizona owner, said Kyler Murray will have a say in the head coaching search. Yes, he did. If that is the case, you know maybe that is an indicator that Kyler Murray is going nowhere. Oh, wait a minute. I have a pro football focus, more updated mock draft. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL mock draft, the Indianapolis Colts, who have traded with the Chicago Bears, select Bryce Young from the University of Alabama. Does it say what they gave up to get to number one? The Chicago Bears are sitting on a golden ticket with a quarterback talent like Young in this class. Number one overall pick is going to be in high demand. The Colts make too much sense to be the team willing to offer a sweetheart deal because it would allow the Bears to be in striking distance for one of the best blue-chip defensive line prospects. The Colts are desperate for a franchise quarterback after years of one-season rentals at the position. Oh, it does say here. Oh, well, let's hear it. Um, that's what I want to know. Let's kind of wait if we would get there. The Colts, to acquire the number one overall pick, are believed to be sending general manager Chris Ballard and interim coach Jeff Saturday in yeah. exchange for the pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bears, with the fourth pick, <laughs> Jalen Carter out of Georgia. They don't list who they would trade up? They have Will Levis going second to Kentucky. Nothing like, hey, they're going to trade up, but we're not going to tell you what the trade would they be. They don't have C.J. Stroud going until How's seven. Will Levis going to Kentucky? Uh, I'm sorry, out of Kentucky. Sorry. They have him going. They have Will Levis going second to Houston. Uh, and C.J. Stroud going seventh to the Raiders. You can't have a mock draft that says they're moved up to one and not tell me well, what they okay, traded to get me, up to Let one. me read you the, the Bears side of things. This has turned into an absolute dream scenario for the Bears. Head coach Matt Eberflus gets the best defensive tackle prospect of the pro football-focused college era. That's all it says. Doesn't say it just says via mock trade with Colts. Yeah, and some overall. Sun King beer. And one know? big tease right. is what this has been. They should send them um Mug and Bun, did you see that's for sale? I did see that, yeah. Somebody's got to buy Mug and Bun. If Robin Miller was still with us, which I, I wish he was, Robin would buy Mug and Bun. He Are there any details on that him. front? Uh, one, what There's more see? than the, the what the Bears got 2. for the first pick. Million. They're asking for, you get all of the land plus the Mug and Bun itself, $2.19 That's That'd be an awesome trade. Never forget my dad take me to the Mug and Bun back in the day. Oh, I mean, how can you not like the mug and bun, right? Pop quiz coming up in about five minutes. 317-239-1070. Let's hit a morning check down. 
The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, if the Colts selected C.J. Stroud, is there any doubt about the fact that he would immediately miss 15 games? Hey, Paris Campbell played every game this season. That is true, but then, I mean, outside of that... I mean, we don't have to go down the long list of Ohio State sure. players drafted by the Colts, right? Yeah, seeing Tyquan Lewis in the locker room yesterday, you were reminded of that. He's a free agent as well. But uh, let's start there. Colts locker room clean out yesterday. The final time we hear from Jeff Saturday, Chris Ballard will meet the media here in about an hour to wrap up the season. Uh, here are Jeff Saturday's thoughts on what would happen if he were to get the permanent gig. If I get this job, there's going to be significant change. You know, the way I do things is not the way things, um, you know, necessarily have been done. I have my own way. And so I, I think that's the part that, you know, as you're as you're thinking about the way you want to run an organization as the head coach, that's that would be my responsibility. You know, when I came in, I'm thrust into how things have been done, you know, for the past however many years and I'm appreciative of that and, and the work that they've done and the success that they've had uh, but it will look different and so you know understanding that that's that's been part of my learning lesson chap right as I've I've looked at the things that I really like about what we do and the things that I don't necessarily like that we do and and there has to be uh, you know to, to lead an organization there has to be alignment from all of us from from Mr. Ursay and Ballard and myself and and the entire organization of how this thing looks and, and as a leader if you don't have that um i don't think you'd be affected i think it's odd he didn't call him chris ballard well you know how saturday is he calls us bro and that's true whatever um, i think he dropped the kev do we yesterday. read into anything kevin that the colts initially said that chris ballard's press conference was not going to be streamed or shown live and then all of a sudden at the 11th hour they said it is going to be streamed uh, I, I don't put a whole lot into it um i found it a little odd initially that they told us it would not be streamed i'm thinking boy there are gonna be a lot of fans that will be upset about that so i retweeted a fan yesterday and said it will not be streamed and sure enough 20 minutes later they changed that announcement um i i you hold don't. all the power kev you make a thing well I, honestly i think <laughs> it was the fans reacting how they did um, yeah, I, I don't know why they elected initially not to have it streamed, but I feel like it has been streamed on an annual basis. Thank you, Mark. Uh, college basketball, by the way, Purdue now third in the country. Indiana has fallen out of the top 25 in the AP poll. It is Houston, number one, followed by Kansas, Purdue, Alabama, and Tennessee. College basketball slate tonight, Butler and St. John's. That's a 6.30 tip. Butler is, needs that one. I know it's on the row, but do. Butler needs it. Uh, St. John's a five-game losing streak, by the way. Ball State with a seven-game winning streak. They are at Ohio, taking on the Bobcats. That game at 7 o'clock tonight in Athens, Ohio. Belmont and Valpo at 7 o'clock. And also at 7 o'clock, the game in which... The nation will be holding its breath. Georgia Tech at Notre Dame. Irish trying to avoid going under 500. They are 0 5 in ACC play. You guys haven't really asked for any Notre Dame basketball guests this year. Is there a reason behind that? Okay. We're a sports show. We also like our sanity. I think back to back Elite Eights for Notre Dame lately. I think Purdue and Indiana fans. We don't need to know anything. Every time, you, every time they have a game, you come in the next day. That was a great win. Or fire Mike Bray. You're like, well, I guess they lost. Then. <laughs> 
Unfortunately, market's been a lot on the ladder. Speaking of college sports, last night in Los Angeles, it was an absolute bloodbath. Georgia sixty. Every time I see it, I'm just in awe. Sixty-five to seven over TCU, folks. It was ten-seven at one point. I mean, uh, so a fifty-five nothing run. Ho hum. Yeah, they just couldn't beat the press. It happens. Really struggled to beat the press. 55-0 run there. Uh, Literally, it felt like an SEC team playing one of those FCS games in November. Stetson Bennett, six touchdowns. Most points ever against the top five team. That's college football history, by the way. Biggest bowl margin ever in college football history. The SEC has now won four straight titles. Georgia will go for the three-peat, which has never been done before next year in Houston. All right, when we come back, it's time for the pop quiz. Kevin, we're going to, I think, probably jet out a little bit early this morning to get over to the Chris Ballard presser, but we'll do the pop quiz next. Scotty Johnson has yet to come up. Have you looked at the quiz, Kevin? Uh, I just opened it. Um, The answers all look somewhat relevant to me, which that's usually how I judge if it's a tough quiz or not. (laughs) All right, uh, we'll do the pop quiz. Jiffy Lube prize pack, or Jiffy Lube oil change, I should say, is on the line. 239-1070 is the telephone number, and it's next. Hey, fam. I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This, I've um, been trading text back and forth with uh, one of our listeners, Matt. Um, actually, was fortunate to meet him at our Night in the Fan Cave, which we had last year. And uh, Matt's son, Colton, um, going in for heart procedure today, coming up in a few hours. I think you and JMV mentioned this yesterday. Um, just can't even imagine you know, being a parent in that situation and having to see your kid go through that and such a really just kind of a helpless feeling there. And I know little kids are extremely resilient, but i um, been thinking a lot about Matt, and hopefully everything goes well on that front for him. Big Colt fan, Colts fan, as you can imagine. That's the reason why Colton is called Colton. Um, so thinking about him, um, not only Colton, but all the doctors and nurses involved and uh, Matt's family today. Wish him the absolute best. And as I told JMB last night, you know, a reminder, I think, for – for people and I, this doesn't take away the anxiety but you know when you go in for a procedure like that whatever it is that you do for a living just keep in mind like you know the people that are going to be performing that surgery probably watched a little of the game last night or went to dinner or whatever because they do this every day right they do it every single day yeah. um and when you you're, you're talking about the best medical care in the world um especially right children's in care and in, right in here and in correct India. so but we certainly, that doesn't take away the anxiety, I understand. So uh, we hope for and are, are send the best 
best wishes for that. Again, pop quiz time. Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs today. Scotty, just I kind of judge looking off the answers. The answers seem relevant. Um, so I would consider this to be a um, manageable pop quiz. In Scotty's words, if you were paying attention, yes. Did we say all these? Number four, we definitely did not say. Uh, boy, that's yeah. Number four is a good one. You think we'll get another musician joke with number five, Mark? Without question. Yeah, kind of like given <laughs> there. I probably number did. five is a guy who's uh, probably didn't even need to tee it up. Be right? a musician uh-huh. if you combine his last name with the area of the floor that was his specialty. All right, let's get to a number here, one through. You know eight. what's interesting too is number five. I got to get going here in a few. The musician, if you think about, want to leave now. If you think about the guy's nickname and then also the musician's name, it's amazing the 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 way that that all marries together, doesn't it? In my opinion, that sucked. (laughs) Okay, well, it'll make sense when we get to that question. Uh, Who do we have here, Mark? Pick a number. number? Uh, I'll go with three. Scott, what's up, Scott? Scott, hey, what's up, fellas? Scott, you are taking a pop quiz that Scotty created. Scott, who's your favorite athlete of all time? I would probably say Bob Sanders. I loved watching Ooh. that guy play safety. He's a lot of fun. I like that name. I know Bob Sanders. Like no one can find him right now. I was able to chat with him at a Tony Dungy, Marvin Harrison's Hall of Fame induction. Just a good dude. Good dude. I, and obviously, he certainly keeps to himself now. But gosh, you talk about a guy that just upped the intensity level when he played. Mm. Yeah, with how small he was, it was incredible. But I think he's coaching high school football, I believe, in Pennsylvania. I think it's the last. Oh, time really? I, I thought I thought he was out in California for some reason. Scott, you sound like a nice fellow. Are you from the area? Yeah, I live in Westfield. I grew up here, um, but I'm on my way to Dayton right now. But yeah, I live in. in now, what takes you to Dayton? You going over to see the Wright brothers or Edwin Moses or what's going no. on there? Uh, no, my work. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Scott, would you like for me? That would be uh, Jay, what sort of what sort of work are you in, Scott? Uh, so I sell a um, imaging study that helps evaluate patients that suffer from uh, movement disorders like Parkinson's disease. Okay. So I'm calling calling on a couple of neurologists this morning. Okay. Wow. And, um, and you're calling us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Killing time. Yeah, Boy, talk about a 180. Thanks there. for intellectually slumming here for a few. Okay. Would you like for me or Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Let's go, Kevin. All right. Scott sounds like a smart guy. Yeah, I do. I, uh, you're right. All right. <laughs> Purdue and Scott, how happy am I that I get out of you know two hours and 40 minutes with Jake today? Uh, Purdue fell to number three in this week's AP Men's College Basketball Poll. Only one other Big Ten team is in the top 25 this week. Is it Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, or the Badgers of Wisconsin? Illinois. Maybe one more crack at it. Kind of a perennial Michigan State thorn in the side of Indiana in particular when they travel to play there. It's kind of a cheesy answer, actually. Uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> Packers suck. Okay. All right, question number two. Uh, this year, who led the Colts in interceptions? Rodney Thomas II, Julian Blackman, Stephon Gilmore, or Rodney McLeod? Rodney Thomas. Won a lot of money at the start of the year betting on that one. How about none for Kenny Moore? Yeah. He was pretty upset about that yesterday in looking back on a season. All right, Scott, number three, the Georgia Bulldogs are back-to-back college football national champs, the last team before the Dogs to repeat as national champs. Would that be Alabama, Clemson, Florida, or LSU? Clemson. 
I like that. Boy, jeez. Question number four. Georgia's 58-point win over TCU in the college football playoff championship last night. The largest margin of victory in postseason bowl history. The old record of 56 was equaled by Army four years ago when they beat Houston 70-14 to in the Armed Forces Bowl. That seems rude that, oh no, Army was the one that won in the Armed Forces, I was going to say. Uh, name the team that originally set the record with a 56-point blowout win in a bowl game. I will tell you they come from an area known for oil money. Texas A&M, Tulsa, Auburn, or Alabama? A&M. Okay. Scott, they have a nickname that doesn't end in S. Okay. For a second there, I thought Scott didn't realize Scott, I got Scott, a lead are here. You now, are, you, are, you, are you at Richmond yet? Have you gotten to Richmond yet? Are you I just saw Newcastle? the Steve Alford in sign, right? No, I'm not. No, I'm not to Richmond yet. I'm getting close though. Okay. All right, number five, Scott. On this day in 1986, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scored the 34,000th point of his career and went over the Pacers. Kareem is still the NBA's all-time leading scorer with 38,387 points, although LeBron James is a little more than 400 points behind him. Name the only player besides Kareem and LeBron to score more than 34,000 points in his NBA career. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Karl Malone, or Wilt? Alone. You know, it's amazing when you think about the fact that he was nicknamed as the mailman. That was mailman. a quick answer by Scott. He was the mailman that played in the post, and yet, uh, of course, that would make him a postal carrier. And then you have Post Malone. See how it all, all right, works? All right, number one, Purdue fell to number three in the college basketball poll. There's only one other Big Ten team in it. It is the Wisconsin Let's go! Question number two. Man, he wasted no time to know that it was Rodney Thomas the second. Yes! Four picks leads the Colts this year. Uh, the last college football team to win back-to-back before Georgia did it last night, it would be the Crimson Tide of Alabama. Boy, I wish it was Clemson. You blew it! Got to the title game and got absolutely blown out by Joe Burrow and LSU. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> uh, we get to suck on that all week. Excuse me? That was uh, Jerry Jones after their loss to the Commanders. Uh, Tulsa was correct Odd for question number four. They beat Bowling Green 63-7. to The Golden the Hurricane of Tulsa. Uh, GMAC Bowl. Bowling Green, by the way, had their five best players hurt, or else it would have been really good. Carl uh, Malone for question number five. Scott seems too smart to call into this show. Yeah, he seemed like a smart fella. We appreciate it, though. Helps the general IQ love things. All right, I'm off to West 56th Street, okay? First question I want you to ask, Kevin. Uh, is what? Chris, do you want to return? You think up there that's kind of a yeah, given? I or want no? you to ask a wide receiver question just to really get the blood <laughs> boiling. I don't think anything's a given. Yeah, with this organization, that's probably an accurate way to put it. All right, we'll recap that all, and you guys will chat about Post Malone here to round up the show, probably. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring it home next. It's Kevin and Quarry on a sun-splashed thing. Hey, fam. I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope 
today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Goodness, Tuesday. So I have heard people say that Post Malone is like a great singer. Mm-hmm. This is him, right? Yeah, this is probably one of his newest hits. Was, wasn't he the one that was at Olive Garden? He's at Olive Garden? Yeah. Like he worked at Olive Garden? Mark. I'm sure he's been to Olive Garden. What? Do you live in Indianapolis? I do. Oh, when he performed here? Is that what you're saying? Uh, am I the only hip one in the room here? Well, that's impossible. <laughs> hey, did you guys watch Family Ties on Pluto? <laughs> Pluto. Yeah, you're no, the no, hippest. No. I didn't say, no, I, I I didn't watch Family Ties on Pluto. They have ads for it all the time on that Pluto Oh, that's right. TV. You're watching Blind Date reruns. Yeah, that's the Roger. That, nothing that, says hip like that. You, that Roger Lodge was great on there. He was... <laughs> His sarcasm was so awesome. Um, Post Malone, when he performed in Indianapolis a few years ago, this might have been right before COVID, uh, he was spotted, I think it was at an Olive Garden, wasn't it? And somebody was like, wait a minute, that's Post Malone, and took a photo with him. That sounds right now that I'm thinking about. And I, I, I'm relatively unfamiliar with his music, and I apologize to people for admitting that. Um, He's good. I like him. This text, by the way, hey, Jake, I've listened to you and Kevin from the start. I've also listened to you and John for a long time. But I wanted to thank you for the Edwin Moses reference. He was my second sports hero chronologically after Ali and before Jordan. Yes, I'm 54 years old, and I graduated from Marion High School in 86 during the three-year run in hoops. Purple Rain, baby. Eric Ewer, Kyle Persinger, Jay Edwards, Lyndon Jones, Derek Keyes. And I've got to say... And I appreciate the text from Kevin and Marion. Uh, Jay Edwards is like my Edwin Moses. I mean, Jay Edwards, when he was when he was a freshman in Indiana and dropped eight threes at Minnesota, I was like, okay, this guy's pretty good. And then his sophomore year was one of the great single seasons in Indiana basketball history. I thought it was funny. You see those things, Mark, that, that people do. That's like you have fifteen dollars. Pick your all-time lineup. Yeah, uh-huh. and then it has like five players at the five-dollar line, four-dollar line. Mm-hmm. Somebody did that with Indiana recently. Scotty oh, is still that. in here, and we'll laugh at the absurdity of this. They had Jay Edwards on the one-dollar line. Now let me tell you something. I know he was only there for two years, and they had George McGinnis. George McGinnis was either on. He might have been on the four-dollar line, maybe. People that know, know, okay? And I'm not saying me. I'm saying you talk to people that that were around it. Jay Edwards is a top... He's a top 10 player all-time in Indiana in terms of just his overall basketball skill. I realize there were those that were more accomplished players that played and did more things. But in terms of just overall basketball acumen and skill set, There are, I mean, Jay Edwards is way up there, way up there. 
Alan Henderson was a, a vastly underrated player. He left in the top 10 in like six different categories. Steve Alford was like my hero, obviously. But in terms of natural skill set, Jay Edwards might have been a, was a more naturally gifted basketball player than Steve Alford. So you would have spent, if you could spend of those $15, you'd probably spend 10 of them on 10 uh, Edwards. Yes. Good. There you go. I'm telling you, the late in games in particular, I mean, that dude, he was just so smooth. He was so effortless and smooth. I can tell you this also when, I won't say the name, I guess, of the player, but, um, and I'm smart enough to know that that Bob Knight probably said this about five different guys. I mean, I get it. But I know a guy that was being recruited by Indiana, actually ended up going to Indiana, and made an official visit in the 89 season when Edwards was there. And as they were practicing, Knight sat down with the guy and pointed to Jay Edwards and said, that's the best overall player I've ever coached here. That's high praise. He probably said that about Isaiah. He probably said it about Woodson. I get it. But uh, he was pretty pretty darn good. So 10.30 today. Chris Ballard speaks. What do you want to hear from Chris Ballard? Um, I want to hear Chris Ballard explain what he thinks went wrong this year. I want Chris Ballard to elaborate on how much say he will have and whether or not he is going to be the one that hires the coach. I can't imagine being a general manager of a football franchise and knowing that I am now working on my, if you include the interim, my fourth coach and that I didn't hire any of them. Yeah. Um, I know he's not going to tip his hand as to what he's going to do with that four pick, but you know, is he open to moving up? Or does he feel like definitively they are guaranteed the player they want at four or a variation thereof? Yeah, I want to hear that. You know, And then again, the questions can be asked. How he chooses to answer them is a whole different story. But I would like to hear if he plans to change his philosophy in free agency, if he plans to change his philosophy in right. the draft. Because he's not usually very you know forward-thinking as far I, as I guess- free agency or tr- trading up for draft picks, giving up future draft capital in order to move up a few spots. You know... The reality is that they are probably about to undergo another rebuild. And I don't necessarily mean a complete strip down, but you're going to be playing with a new quarterback, with theoretically a new head coach, which would mean probably a new offensive coordinator. So... Does that mean with all new stuff in that regard that you also go with an all-new philosophy? Can't hurt. Sometimes you need a new set of eyes on things to you know really identify the problems on the roster. I also am curious, not necessarily even in Ballard's answers as much as his demeanor. Because, and I don't blame Chris Ballard for this. I kind of understand it. And, and again, I want to make clear... If I was Chris Ballard, I would be very, like when Chris Ballard has come on here, if he were to come on our show and point out the things about our show that are inaccurate or he doesn't like, that's totally fair. Because 
if our job is to discuss sports and as a result of that, critique, analyze, or second-guess Chris Ballard or Kevin Pritchard or Tom Allen, then it's only fair that if they so chose that we undergo the same scrutiny. Yeah. I mean, that's only fair. I wish there was still a media critic at the Indianapolis Star. I mean, Mark Allen used to do it years ago. But I think it would be healthy for all of us in our line of work to undergo the same level of accountability that we request and, and demand from people in the world of sports. But I do, I am curious to see if Chris Ballard's demeanor has changed because one of the things that I that I said or have said, Mark, about the Colts and about Ballard, people in this town are going to be fans of the Colts regardless. It doesn't matter who's running the franchise. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. You know, people can say all they want. Yeah, I'm going to forego my tickets. Number one, they know that there's somebody else that's willing to pick them up. And number two, you know, we're all addicted. We're all addicted to the passion of sports. And it just depends on which form we choose to serve our addiction, whether it be the Colts, whether it be the Cardinals, whether it be the Cubs, you know, whatever, right? And so people are always going to be around. Fans are always going to be around. They know that. But I still think that Ballard, in the way that he sat up during the Jeff Saturday press conference with his arms folded. When I say media coaching, I don't mean somebody coming in telling him how to how to talk to the media. He doesn't need that and we don't need that. But I do think that having like a PR coaching team to come in and just kind of go over with him body language and having positivity or smile in his words. I think it goes a long way. I think it goes a long way to the fan base, and I think it would buy him more trust from the fans. I don't know if that's in his DNA, though. That's possible. He's kind of a red ass. Like I think that's what endears him to maybe Ursa and all that stuff, is that he's going to wear his feelings on his sleeve, and you're going to know exactly how he's feeling just by looking at him. And <laughs> Hopefully his, his demeanor is a little different from that Monday night press conference. I don't know if it will be, though, after the season they just had, especially if he feels like he got his legs swept out from under him. As far as the Saturday well, hire and then the Ellinger, Ryan, the yeah. roller coaster that all was. So it'll be interesting. That is another thing that I think is fair to ask is, you know, do you feel like you have been muted at all? Do you feel like you've been usurped? Because that's what he looked like mm-hmm. when Saturday was brought up there. Because I think, and what will be interesting is if Jeff Saturday ends up the head coach of the Colts, then I think what that means is that. Chris Ballard did not have say in that, right? And is that something he wants to come back to? Because, right. I mean, if that's the case, I, I don't know any GM that's going to say, if the head coach has more power and more say and is in the owner's ear more than I am, then what's the point of me being here? Right. Again, those questions can be asked. Whether or not they're answered or not, truthfully, will be a different thing. But that's so it's going to be uh, carried on Colts.com, right? Yep. It will be live streamed. I'm sure it'll be on all the social media pages as long as you follow the Colts. They'll have a little link for it. So Twitter, Facebook, wherever you check out social media, it'll be there as well. And I assume that we will be playing plenty of it tomorrow. I'm sure that's on the docket. Breaking it all down and critiquing it. Um, what else we got going on? What else do you have going on later today? Anything? Not much. Uh, going to wrangle up the daughters later and all that wrangle stuff. Up wrangle up the daughters. Up. What do you like? Get on I, do. I walk in and 
you know, all hell's breaking loose. <laughs> Wrangle them up. Do you, you just get a little Shetland pony and I wish it was, it was that right simple. To- oh my god. Shetland ponies, dogs, whatever we need. Round them all up. Sheep dogs, whatever. But I no. thought it'd be fun. Do you have pets? No. We had one, but he passed away like two years oh, ago. I'm sorry. That's okay. He was, he was 17 years old. A dog or a cat? Dog. A 17-year-old dog? What kind of dog was he? A little guy? Yeah. He's a little, uh, what is it? Yorkie Poodle. What was his name? Parker. Okay. And is that was that yours or the... It was my wife? wife's, and then we brought him up from Florida. Right. So. Well, the cold weather did him in. Yeah. That's what that's, it was. That's nice of you. Once he's a senior citizen, to move him from Florida to Indiana. I know. I know. He's boy. He walked the first time he saw us. He's like, "What the hell is this?" It's very kind of you. I know. Uh, okay, Chris Ballard again, ten thirty this morning. Colts.com, where you can see that. We will break that down tomorrow. Discuss and play a lot of it for you. You folks have a wonderful sun-filled Tuesday. It's Kevin. And-